Welcome to the Swapflix Podcast. My name is Brandon Leday. I'm Brittany Lombas. I'm James Cohn. And I'm Hannah Rassinen. And this is our best of the year episode. Woo! Yahoo! Welcoming in year, I want to say seven of podcasting, maybe six. I feel seven. Seven maybe sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah, we started in like 2016, so seven's correct. Yeah. It just sounds wrong because it's too long. Yeah. Are we that old? Uh, we barely survived the Rio Bravo Wars of 2022. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we're on our, on our feet. I have not uh, listened to that podcast yet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I felt a little guilty after that. I was like, I got a little too angry. James came in guns ablaze. That's right. You have, if you're passionate like about John something, Wayne. this is the place to express That's that right. passion. That's right. I just didn't know so I'd be did. so passionate about a John Wayne. <laughs> Never in my life. I'm sure there are more of those discussions to come. I will say I looked at the overall list of movies we nominated today um, for these best of the year roundups and... There's not a single movie I dislike on this list, cool. which oh, is unusual for me. So maybe this will be a more posy episode oh. than the last one that we had in the feed. Also, we are testing new microphones in the new year, which I think we do about once a year yeah. uh, to improve the quality of this thing that we've been doing I'm for like a long time. I'm very excited about these. I feel like a, a news anchor woman. That's right. <laughs> very professional. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sure they'll have their own obstacles. Right now we're fighting a cat who really wants to <laughs> chew these really new cords. Super interesting. So we're already cords. testing the limits of what they but, can do. But, you know, That's aren't right. wires noodles for cats? Yeah. <laughs> As they say. And also, the last episode we recorded like this for Best of 2021 was our longest ever. It was over three hours. So Whew. maybe I should not belabor this any longer uh do y'all have any like <laughs> opening statements you want to say about how the 2022 year went this um just real quick this i was so organized this mm-hmm. year um with 2022 movies like i you know i made a list and i was keeping track of everything i was watching that was 2022 related so i felt like that was you know me progressing as a, a swamp flicks podcaster <laughs> and i'm very proud of that yeah i did the same I had a letterbox list that I started at the beginning mm-hmm. of last year of like movies that I liked in 2022. And every time I watched something that I thought could be a contender, I just shoved it in there. And uh, it really helped at the end of the year. And I also feel like the movies in 2022 were super engaging. I had a hard time with my list the year before. So uh, I don't know. This this had a good crop, I thought. Also, I know you said to throw them in the garbage, but those screeners oh, were yeah. pretty great. <laughs> yeah. That really let me catch up on a lot of stuff that I missed throughout the year. I feel like I legally shared those. They were given to us for oh, review should I purposes. Not, should I no, not no, have no. said that? I'm sorry. Please. I just outed you to the industry. <laughs> They're coming after you. I mean, they were given to me for review purposes and for like awards consideration. Right. And I consider this an award show. It is. And we are about oh, to review yeah. all these films. We're so. about to give out a bunch of swampies. The swampies. <laughs> yeah, the swampies. I was just going to <laughs> did any of the screeners actually make it onto your top 10 though yes oh, okay good three of them did for me i think wow but one of them i watched on netflix not on the uh, but anyway better quality to be honest yeah but two yeah two of them for me did yeah i think one cracked my top 20 but like most years just most of my list was just stuff i saw in the theater and had a great like in-person experience with yeah which was Same. hard to like capture yeah. at home streaming stuff to, from my laptop and some of the screeners are like watching these like standard definition DVDs with watermarks on them for the other ones. Yeah. A lot of the screeners for movies that I was the most excited about ended up being kind of disappointing, but there were some hidden gems yeah. Yeah. in there that will 
I'm sure we'll get into. I was going to say there were three that made it onto my list and none of them were the movies that I expected, Uh um, which was, you know, obviously a pleasant surprise. And I don't know if it's just because of the theaters or the screeners or what, but um, we have more cohesion this year for the most part, except for Brittany, (laughs) who uh, has maintained, usually it's you and me who have like the most outliers, but you are really like overperforming this year. <laughs> oh, I, I think you have seven movies that are on no one else's list. Oh my gosh. <laughs> wow. Oh, I'm, holy hell, Which really? incredible. And I love that because it's given us like a wider spread. And like I said, yeah. I, I enjoyed everything that's gonna, about to come up. So. Oh, well, great. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to talk about these seven movies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we need 70% to- 70% do- of your right. top 10. Oh wow. my gosh. Right, we easy. definitely need to just get right. into it. It's gonna be the Britney show. <laughs> And all that's coming up to you right now. I would just like to ask you to please not talk during the movie, but if somebody forgets and you feel that you have to shush them, just do the nice one. Like, you don't have to make a meal out of it. Like, just do the normal one. Because the normal shushing actually is enough. And uh, I'll do it. Ready? It's like the ocean. So as I said, Brittany is the one with the most... Movies that no one else listed in their top ten. Um, once we get into like okay. our like website list where there's like a top twenty situation, there's yeah. more overlap. Okay, right? but there's a lot of stuff <laughs> high up on your list that no one else listed for today. You know, what? I just go with my heart with these. No, I love That's it. Right. Okay, let's start with your number ten. What was your number ten movie <laughs> of the year? So my number ten um, was Resurrection. It's um, a good old fashioned IFC film. Those always tend to surprise me the most because I kind of you know there's so many of them. Where you just kind of like, oh God, here's another one where it's going to be mediocre. This blew me away. Directed by Andrew Simmons. Um, stars Rebecca Hall and Tim Robbins. So, I'm, Tim Roth. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Rebecca Hall's in here. She was in The Night House, which I was blown away by last year. Totally blown away by her performance in, in Resurrection this year. And I, I kind of talked about Resurrection a little bit in a previous podcast episode um as a what did you watch lately but in this film the thing that really put it on my top 10 was rebecca hall's performance like i think her performance in this movie was like personally for me was the strongest acting performance out of everything that i've watched this year there is this eight minute monologue that she has where it's shot in just this like one mesmerizing shot where it's like she's kind of telling her her deep dark secret to this intern in her office and it's this emotional roller coaster and it's like the most gruesome shit you could think of that she's just saying in this very emotional way and it's uh it's 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 great so that's what kind of kicked it up a notch for me and I'm like I gotta put this on my top 10 um and it is deserving of it and and the film itself is great she's this very successful businesswoman and single mother and weird shit starts to happen. Like her daughter who's about to go to college finds like a tooth in her wallet. And there's this creepy guy that is sort of stalking them from afar and she recognizes him and she starts to slowly unravel. And a lot of it is it's, it's another thing that I always fear is when, when someone doesn't believe you when you're saying something and she's like, this guy's watching us. And, you know, she's telling her daughter, you have to protect yourself and you have to stay hidden here. He can't find you. He's going to, you know, going to kill you, whatever, whatever. And her daughter's like, you just don't want me to go to college, mom. You don't want to be an empty <laughs> nester. So she starts to question her sanity. And it's 
oh my God, it's, it's just such a good movie and it is so dark and there's like body horror elements to it without you actually seeing it, like just knowing about the thing that I don't want to talk about because it's the thing that makes this movie like super cool and mysterious and I don't want to spoil it for anyone because I want everyone to watch it. Well, has anyone else watched it? I haven't, I haven't seen it. I, haven't okay. seen I need it. to. But I remember you talking about it. And, and I remember that it premiered at Sundance. And it was one of the movies I wanted to see. Ooh. I did not see it. And every time I hear about it, I kick myself for not watching it. Because it sounds great. I also missed it at Overlook Film Fest. Yeah. Um, but I did watch it for this episode. Oh, my God, Brandon. It's like the one piece of homework I knew I had to do. Because uh, I knew it was going to be high on your list. It was very good. I mean... I think I mentioned this last time, but she's kind of filling that um, Elizabeth Moss role lately where, like, every performance is this total psych breakdown. Like, she yes. just is completely giving everything she can on the screen every time she acts now. Is it just me? Or, like, it, her performance in here wasn't as strong as Tony Collette's in Hereditary. No. But it's in the same... <laughs> but there's something about it that reminded me of it so yeah. much. Like, just this woman losing her shit in a very passionate way i love watching that it seems like uh someone who desperately needs to relax and take a nap and like will not xanax yeah (laughs) they need to sleep for 10 hours drink a (laughs) glass of water and start over and attack the problem fresh but uh, neither (laughs) of them will do it right Uh, she used to go on a little retreat in the desert yeah now we'll go with her I really want to spoil what happens in this movie. Uh, I know. Don't, don't. But I don't. Don't do we it. Can't. Okay. Please, I beg. It's worth watching to see her performance is the first, the big thing about this. But then, yeah, the the secret is, okay. is worth it. I will say too. one thing about it is that this is a very cheaply done movie besides Rebecca Hall and Tim Roth's like, paychecks. Like, there's not a lot of actual on-screen horror or violence or action that would really right. require a lot of money. Until the climax in a hotel room. Yes. And like they pour all of the budget into like one effect, more or less, maybe a couple dream sequences aside. And like yeah. it was a very good use of the money. Like mm. it's good that they saved all those like practical gore moments for like the last minute. So shout out to the budget managers. Yeah. <laughs> it's smartly written for someone who knew what kind of scale they were working on, yeah. I think. So one other little hint that I want to drop, <laughs> but for all you huge Swamp Flicks fans out there, there's a nod to our 69th episode. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to spoil too. <laughs> <laughs> so if you haven't listened to the 69th episode, please go also, listen to it. not the only movie on this list that touches on that topic. There's another horror movie that hits that exact button. Oh, we're so sick. We'll get around it. to that too. Well, my number 10 was uh, Strawberry Mansion. Oh, yeah. So you all saw that at Sundance, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. In a year where, like, I feel like Michelle Gondry, his, like, style of twee has become kind of in vogue with, mm-hmm. like, everything everywhere all at once, has all those, like, dream worlds, and Marcel the Shell and all these other, like, stop motion movies have this kind of precious handmade arts and crafts quality. Strawberry Mansion does that on a pretty big scale, considering how cheap that movie is, too. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like got a lot of recognition for doing the same thing. So this is my plea to everyone who watched Everything Everywhere and really liked it. Try this cheaper movie, too. Yeah. Uh, it's also very good. Yeah. Strawberry Mansion is about an alternate version of the year 2035 where your dreams can be taxed. And uh, this tax auditor is going basically door-to-door to audit people who have not been submitting their like dreams to be calculated for... Uh, basically, objects and ideas and people that appear in your dreams have like these monetary 
um, values assigned to them, and he has to like write them up in his little notebook. Um, and there's a woman who's who has been recording her dreams according to law, but like on these VHS tapes. So he has to um, basically use this analog equipment that's very outdated to surveil her dreams to do his audit properly. And in the process, he falls in love with the younger version of herself that's more his age. So this is like intergenerational romance going on. But for the most part, the movie's just like dream hopping from like world to world. And they're being chased through their dreams by these like pop-up ads that are like <laughs> trying to sell them fried chicken and soda. Uh, and it's just really wildly imaginative, like, like kind of like for Resurrection. Like it's really smart with the budget, um, what it pulls off by immersing you in this like dream world stuff. Yeah. And I realized um, thinking a lot about, um, we were talking about sight and sound recently. Like mm-hmm. one of the movies that I would put on there easily if I did a ballot was like Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And I think the more, the more I think about the reasoning behind that, it's like I really like movies that hand build a world that is obviously fake. And you can see the seams in between the individual effects and, like, the arts and crafts, like, set design and costumes and stuff. But if you're in there for more than a minute, you just become immersed in that world and it becomes, like, purely magical. I'd say Donkey Skin was another movie we covered last year that does the same thing. To me, Strawberry Mansion is a very magical movie and, like, pulls off a lot with very few resources in a way that I, like, highly respect. Yeah, I, I kind of forgot about Strawberry Mansion because we watched it pretty early in the Sundance um, dance. <laughs> and I haven't seen it in a long time, but I think there was something in the pacing where I got kind of lost in like the like the third act. But I just remembered it being very playful and like, re- like really beautiful, brightly saturated, fun colors. And then like, I love movies that talk about like the bureaucratization of whimsy (laughs) like that is such a it's like such a dangerous thing to me and so scary so I just love the idea of like a dream auditor like how like it's so dystopian to me um but I remembered it being like really fun and really beautiful whimsical um, but yeah, I kind of like didn't even think to reconsider it. Because we, we saw that for Sundance two years ago. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That, we that's saw why it, in it wasn't really on. Yeah. It's like trying to remember a dream you had two years ago. Right. Yeah. 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 And But I remember of all the Sundance movies, that was one that was higher up right. on my list. But I think it's just been, you know, two years since I've seen it and I yeah. probably yeah. should have gone back to revisit it, but mm-hmm. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I guess I should note too, um, we're all going to the World's Fair with something you saw two years ago and would have made your list this year had you seen it the year oh, it was released. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, festival releases, platform releases, uh, this stuff's very, very arbitrary. Right. The next movie on the list is your number nine and it is more twee whimsy. Oh my gosh. Yes. Okay. So my number nine is, um, this is actually one of the screeners, uh, Marcel the Shell with Shoes On by Dean Fleischer Camp. And one of the overarching themes of my list in general is like these movies about community and isolation. And I feel like those have really thrived in the past year, especially like after, I mean, we're still in the midst of the pandemic, but like kind of coming out of isolation from that period of time. Um, I've been really drawn to movies that are, like affirming of life and like the beautiful little things. And 
I feel like I didn't want to like it as much as I did. Same. I, yeah, I like, <laughs> I didn't love the original YouTube videos when they came out. They came out when I was in high school and like my friends were obsessed with them and I just, I like kind of didn't get it. And that's what this movie is based on. And that takes up like the first 15 minutes. And then it's like the director of the film working with Marcel to like find his community also to like for the director to find his own community because he's like split up with his girlfriend and he's like a little bit lost at sea. This is a very sweet movie. I think the two things that really put it over the edge for me to put it on my list um, was Marcel's grandmother played by Isabella Rossellini. She's just this sweet old little shell who loves Marcel and just wants him to embrace life and like go out and and live and not be afraid of of like taking risks and of like putting her in harm's way and there's this sequence where she's <laughs> trying to convince um Marcel to like bring Leslie Stahl into the house <laughs> so and but Marcel is afraid because his grandmother's like getting older she's a little sick and so she like pretends to be getting better and like rejuvenating she's pretending to eat she like puts some rouge on her little shell cheeks and it's like <laughs> I don't know I'm watching like two shells just and it's like I can feel the compassion that she has for Marcel and it just like made me cry and then the last scene where Marcel uh, I don't know. Can I spoil the ending? Is sure. It? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so Marce Marcel does find his community. His um, He used to live in a house with this couple. And when they break up, like it totally disrupts his family. Like all of his aunts and brothers and sisters and his parents get like moved to another it's house. It's like a shell diaspora. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. So everybody's reunited. And then, but Marcel realizes that like, now he's actually not used to all of this um, activity and really craves solitude again and like finds some um, camaraderie with his late grandmother in that way. And he goes down to the laundry room and is standing in the window and he's like describing how the wind blows into his shell and makes a sound. And he realizes like the sound wouldn't exist without him. And it's just like, what a, beautiful like realization of your place in the world and like your little pocket of of meaning even if there's nobody there to witness it but you and I watched this with my mom so it was also you know like it it just really um hit my little heart and so I I just had to put it on there so I know on our twee episode we talked about how I struggle with twee and the first 15 minutes of this like once jenny slate starts talking in that voice at first i'm like too much too much <laughs> yeah. man it's too <laughs> sweet it. it's too sincere but i stayed with it and then the stuff like you said the stuff with the grandmother mm -hmm. and like the jokes yeah. i was like actually finding it very funny every punchline <laughs> is basically like his stuff is very small. <laughs> it's always funny. Yeah. But at like after about 20 minutes, it's like, okay, I, I'm like on its wavelength. Yeah. My heart is being warmed. And then by the end, when he finds a community, I was crying, like you said. Mm -hmm. And it and it really did connect with me and just this very sweet message and a very funny, sentimental little movie. Yeah. yeah I really I thought it was delightful. 
I saw this in the theater um, with children and adults in the audience. Um, I cried and laughed the entire time. <laughs> uh, this one's just outside my top ten. Yeah. I guess in a big picture sense, what I'll say about it is that, like, this year, there's so much good stop-motion animation. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel fucking spoiled by how yeah. much of that yeah. art form is just out there. And, like, anyone making, like, a best movies of the year list should have at least one stop-motion movie yeah. on their list, if not multiple. And I think this one's just as valid as any of the other ones, even though the animation itself is pretty simple. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, like, getting to the basics of just, like, frame by frame moving a little object and making its uh, mouth open and close. And, like, that's enough to be a platform for these jokes and these, like, sentimental exchanges. Um, and they all hit just as hard yeah. as they would as if it was two actors on the screen. Yeah. Um, there's definitely more visually ambitious stop-motion movies in this list, um, but I don't know that there are as many that, like, hit me in the emotions as hard as this one did. Yeah. Well, surprise, surprise, Britney's number nine was also an outlier. <laughs> all right. Less wholesome. <laughs> Less wholesome. But just a good time of a movie. And my number nine is Fresh. We all watched it Ugh. for a previous episode. It's Mimi Cave's uh, directorial um, debut for a feature film. I just liked it a lot as like a rom-com horror movie that's also a black comedy. I had a lot of fun with it. I've rewatched it several times and it does it for me every time that I see it. Sebastian Stan has a really strong performance in here, as does Daisy Edgar Jones. Mm -hmm. This is another movie where there's a very small cast, but they're good enough to where you don't give a shit. And, you know, you're you're sitting in a room with, like, the same, like, two people for the majority of the film. And it does it because they're so entertaining and they have such a good energy between the two of them, even though the subject matter and the reason that they're in this room is super disgusting um and it, and it kind of you know i don't think it's there's any like deep meaning to this at all it's just you know hey dating um as a single woman is scary and yes you can be sex trafficked and you also may be tra trafficked for your body parts um for a bunch of rich cannibals there's something about the it's like spooky. the commodification of women's bodies that's yeah. very literally addressed right. here for sure. Right. It's like, yeah, not, there's nothing that's like, wow, I never saw it in that. No, way. it's pretty blunt. Or you're gonna, you know, you know, do a little chin scratch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but I like that. Sometimes it's like yeah, let's just, like I wanna yeah. watch a film that has something to say without me having to like dig in my brain too much to fucking figure it out. <laughs> and it, it's just yeah. It yeah. it does it. And that that initial kind of shift from rom-com to horror is so yeah. well done yes yeah, i think the opening credits are like almost 20 minutes in yeah and that's when you actually realize what kind of movie you're watching yeah it, it's pretty amazing that that shift like that's the one thing i keep thinking about with that movie i love how well it pulled that off yeah i was thinking about that recently actually of like the first half an hour and yeah i think that movie perfectly communicates like when you're dating there's like what if I'm wasting my time? What mm -hmm. if I meet someone, invest all this time, and then it doesn't really work out? You know, it's like there are all of these just kind of baseline relationship worries. And then, like, what if this person is straight up lying to me and they're they're going to lock me in a room? Yeah. You know, and that's Trust just no a one. whole... Exactly. <laughs> like, so many levels of fear when trying to find genuine connection. It's true. And, like, even with, with this movie, it got me thinking, like, you know when you find someone new or you meet someone new, like you research the shit out of them. Right. And then it's like, they don't have any social media. That's right. sketchy. Right. <laughs> you know, who's that wholesome? Right. 
But like also, like I've tried to eliminate social media. I, I have an Instagram, right. but like I don't have a Facebook. And if someone like you could easily be like, oh, I met this chick and she doesn't have a Facebook. What you know? What's wrong what's with her? her? She's right, gonna kill exactly. us. <laughs> yeah, it's so yeah. hard to really figure out if someone is a threat or not. Yeah, it's hard to authentically like trust people. Right. Yeah. Sebastian Stan's performance is a huge part of that too, because he's so charming and yeah. handsome oh my and God. like charismatic. Even yes. after the, the second shoe drops and you realize he's a serial killer, like he's still charming her right. and like yeah, smoothing I mean, her a little bit. There were times where I'm like, maybe someone's making him do this and he really doesn't want to. <laughs> maybe he really loves seems her. Seems like a nice right. guy. He seems like a nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Daisy Edgar Jones definitely had a bigger year because uh, where the crawdads sing was like oh, stealthily right. one of the most successful films of 2022 financially yeah. still haven't watched it have not seen it but they were filming it when i was in homa at the <laughs> oh. at the white boot festival um, looking at the craft no, no interest in seeing yeah. that this is his movie though like she's yeah. she's good in the role but okay. like he's irreplaceable um, yeah. as yeah. the lead in this real creep real fun creep yeah, <laughs> yeah. fun creepy guy uh, keeping on the horror tip for a while uh james's number nine and number eight were both outliers Oh, really? Ooh. Yeah. Uh, so my number nine was Pearl, which was the sequel to X, directed by Ty West. Do you find it a little odd that like Pearl is on here, but X isn't on anyone's list? So this is the, the prequel, and Mia Goth is fantastic. Oh, my God. Maybe like my favorite performance by an actress this year. She really kills it. She's a star. <laughs> Watching this actually made me appreciate X less. Like, mm -hmm. I think when I first saw X, I was kind of drawn in by the, like, grindhouse, the 70s, like, aesthetic. Uh -huh. But then when I saw this, it's so, such a good character study and, like, all the pieces fit and her performance is great. And there's some really great sequences in here. There's, like, a really fantastic monologue mm -hmm. she gives towards the end. But, yeah, it made me like X a little less because, like, he can obviously do better. And this is just like a really, really fantastic, bloody character study. I think I came at it from the opposite direction where like my opinion of X was like kind of low. And then I saw Pearl and I liked X more in retrospect. Really? Uh, Same. She's really yeah. good in X. Like she plays mm -hmm. two characters in that movie and she does them both like exceptionally well. Uh, but in Pearl, like her playing the younger version of the older one of that pair, like the things that I did not like about X were like the seventies grindhouse thing has been done so much. Yeah. Yeah. Like for the past 20 years, it feels like mm -hmm. since like Rob Zombie, his, he built an entire career around that. Yeah. And then Mia Goth was like the best part of X. So like for her to get all of the spotlight and then to like ditch the seventies half of it. Right. It, it also made me really excited to see Maxine, Maxine. Uh, mm -hmm. which is just from the trailer. I can tell it's going for that eighties VHS uh -huh. kind of style which yeah. i think will be fantastic but yeah she just like so many great scenes in here and especially that monologue at the very end where she finally like yeah. confesses her sins like send that to the academy you know what i mean like <laughs> that one in rebecca hall's monologue yes. from resurrection yeah yeah which i need to see yeah. they each get a swampy but yeah and I, I thought everything about it was really clever like you know with the prequel being set during the spanish influenza mm -hmm. so obviously there's like a tie-in with like covid yeah i thought that was really clever her relationship with the projectionist i thought was like well done and yeah it just deepened that 
X universe. Yeah. And I also think it's amazing that the these movies are getting made extremely quickly. Yeah. Too. I th- think they're all going to be done in less than a year. Yeah. And Pearl in particular is that Roger Corman style of like, we have more room in the budget and in the right. schedule. We can knock out another movie to, in a week. Slice it in. Let's and the fact it. that they did it and it looks so good yeah. and it's so tight. Right. I, that's why it made it to number nine for me. Yeah. What I really liked about Pearl was exploring the relationship with like her parents, mm-hmm. like her really, you know, aggressive immigrant mother and her father. Was oh, like, God. oh, that was terrifying. Like, oh, it was sort of sort of the same way I, I felt <laughs> um, watching Vigo Mortensen in um, Crimes of the Future. Crimes of the Future. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just so gross just what? watching yeah. his little sounds. Yeah. And just like repulsed. <laughs> little sounds. But it, it, yes. and it was, I don't know, it was tragic too because yeah. knowing how she ends up, like you really are rooting for her to get the hell out of her parents' house, get out of this town. And then, you know, <laughs> when she. Then. Yeah, and then the audition that goes wrong and it all comes spiraling Something down. And, about that, like, yeah, post the, the audition failure. The fear in her paralyzed dad's face. Yeah, yeah. It's he's so like, insane. Oh no, like, no, no! Oh, f- someone fucking help me! <laughs> right. Yeah, I feel like they do a lot of work in the back end of like filling in kind of her like crazed eccentricity, and yeah. I wish that that was like sprinkled in a little bit more in the beginning. Although we do get that scarecrow scene, which Oof. is pretty great. <laughs> but yeah. I, oh Wild. my god, Mia Goth. Is she's also in Infinity Pool, which is coming out yeah. this year. Very I'm excited so excited. She is so good. And you know, like James said, that monologue is fantastic, especially like it's this confession that she's like giving to her step or her sister-in-law as a practice for her for her husband. Mm-hmm. So it's like eight minutes of Mia Goth just like and all of the deranged like sludge in her mind, and they never show her sister-in-law's face but you know she's like (laughs) oh my god like stomach dropping how am i gonna get out of this and then that that sequence afterwards too is great of like trying to escape and uh being unsuccessful don't run in bad shoes ever (laughs) ever ever i do have one minor gripe about pearl very Mm. minor but like i feel like the hook of this franchise that they've kind of propped up very quickly is it's like porno slasher. Like if you're gonna write two words on like a whiteboard to sell this movie, it's porno slasher. And in Pearl, there's like one sequence where the projectionist shows her a, an old stag film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But otherwise, it really doesn't have that much else going on. And I don't know if that was like because it was written so quickly that like maybe I don't know. There's something about the auditioning process and her trying to break into showbiz. Right. Like if if it had gone in more of like a pornography direction, like it would have felt more thematically tied to mm-hmm. the other film. But that's the only part that feels like kind of undercooked to me. I could see that. I also feel like they should have explored a little bit more about when the husband comes yeah. home. Like, yeah, because yeah. you, you know if you watch X, that he ends up like staying with her, but why yeah. would he? You know, so there was a lot to chew on there. I know it's like an hour and a half movie. Yeah. But I, it left me with a lot of questions that between Pearl and X, like how did their, and maybe they can explore it in another movie. We need movie. like a, a half a Pearl. Yeah. What was your next one, James? So my number eight was Men, which is the new Alex Garland that came out this year. I think we were, with Fresh, we were talking about like metaphor, how like on the nose 
that metaphor kind of is. And men is essentially the same way. Like, and that's kind of what I liked about it. It doesn't really pull any punches about what it's about or what it's trying to say. But holy shit, <laughs> at the end when the shit goes down and oh. the, uh, I don't know what you would the even. The birth and the birth. The birth and the death <laughs> and the birth and he's spitting up like one of the most shocking, awesome body More horror. pregnant men. Yeah. 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 Definitely one of my favorite scenes of the year. And the build up to that has a lot of creepy like A24 atmospherics. Mm-hmm. I think in your review, you touched on like, this is an A24 horror. More than it's an Alex Garland film. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Just like, I remember the trailer to it was so great. And I was like worried that it wouldn't live up to, and it, it totally does. And it hits that sweet spot of like very pretty A24 style with some like really good music, great performances and really creepy stuff that ends up into outright nightmarish body horror. So I, I like, I totally dug it. I'd say this one and um, Don't Worry Darling are like the two most complained about movies of the year. <laughs> I liked this one more than Don't Worry Darling, but yeah. I feel like in both cases, it's like a little overdone, like how hard people went after them yeah. for being blatant about what they're about, like not trying to hide their themes, like is like their biggest sin. I guess also people were complaining about like, why is a man making this movie about men's evil intentions or like men's unsavory appetites? Mm -hmm. Maybe because he knew it best. Yeah. Yeah. Feels like he's purging something ugly about himself. Yeah. Yeah. I love the guy that plays like the only fucking man in this movie. (laughs) Oh my god, his face is so spooky. Yeah, on the the little child. Oh my god. (laughs) Yeah. Great use of CGI throughout. Just like mapping his face on other people and then also that conclusion is like really surreal. But it's like this guy's face was made to do this weird shit. Who, what other face could you put in all these yeah. all these uh, men? His face is like a little <laughs> generic and kind of threatening and unthreatening, yes. which I feel like is perfect for yes, what he's trying to do. On the nose. Yeah. Especially like the gardener char- or the groundskeeper character is like very sweet. And the like, <laughs> I can't say anything about what this person, like the interactions I'm having with this person, but it feels wrong. I guess that's the grander metaphor is like, there's some like overt versions of like misogyny in the film. Right. And then there's like some more like subtle ones. And then at the end, they all like are like birthing each other. Yeah. This like grotesque display. Right. Uh, and it's like her fault. <laughs> like they're all blaming her for how gross they are. Right. Uh, I would love to watch that birthing thing on loop for yeah. an hour. <laughs> That's your Yule log like uh, YouTube video. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> While I eat my Christmas dinner. Yeah. And throughout I, I wasn't sure how like her story and the story of her stay at, at the manor were going to come together. And I feel like in addition to the ending just being absolutely disgusting and wild, like I do think it really like ties the movie together into a strong central thesis. Yeah, I, this was in my top 20. Actually, I, th- I think it was my number 11. I think this will rate high on Swamp Flicks' yeah. top 10 movies of the year, which is, I don't know. I like the arbitrariness of that or like the contrariness of that. Right. Someone should stick up for this. It's it's pretty good. Yeah, like, yeah it's it good. good. Yeah. It's good, man. <laughs> it's good. Uh, I have another grotesque horror film, maybe a, a little more fun than Men. Uh, <laughs> Deadstream was my number oh. seven. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. It's fun. I think I prioritized like stuff that was like 
obviously made cheaply, but like does a lot with their resources. Mm -hmm. And this one, I feel like is a very strong argument for that. Like a husband and wife directed it. It's more or less a single location of this like abandoned house. The premise is uh, one of my favorite (laughs) uh, devices. It's like a live stream of (laughs) a uh, YouTube uh, assholes broadcast over the internet. (laughs) This is like a PewDiePie style, like YouTuber content obsessed jerk. He gets the uh, sort of like Blue's Clues host talking as if he's talking to children, uh, Ryan Reynolds style sense of humor, mm-hmm. down very well mm. to the point where you hate his guts within 30 <laughs> seconds when he started. Waiting for the goblins to snatch oh him up. Oh my God. Uh, what's smart about the movie is everything he does and says is obsessed with creating content and satisfying his sponsors. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> even when he's like apologizing for being quote unquote canceled, it's all fake and insincere. And the ghost that he encounters in this haunted house that he's live streaming from um, over this one night is also obsessed with content. Uh, She's this Emily Dickinson style poet who killed herself and she is trying to get her poems out in the world through his YouTube (laughs) broadcast. And it's these two content creators fighting over this YouTube broadcast. And I guess what I appreciated is like, that's a very simple premise and you feel like you understand what the movie is based Mm -hmm. on that. But the longer he stays in the house, the weirder the scares get and the more surreal they are. And it just becomes this like haunted house free-for-all by the end where like fucking anything could happen uh, from moment to moment. The laughs get bigger and bigger. The scares get scarier. Um, it's like genuinely freaky and um, riotously funny. I saw, I saw it for the first time with a crowd at Overlook and people were like yelling like and like basically whooping at the screen <laughs> like a Steve Wilkos oh, broadcast. Because, yeah, his character... When I first started the movie, I was like, man, this guy is so unlikable. But I don't know, the longer you stick with it, once the scares come and the fun starts, I don't know. It's just fun to see this guy yelling for his life. He's <laughs> <laughs> so awful. Yeah. But yeah, there's some really good, like, gross out stuff in here and some, like, Finger genuinely, horror. yeah, Ugh. some genuinely freaky scares, too. Like, yeah. 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 I also, I thought the setting up, of the like technology was really smart too. Yeah. Um, mm. Cause you, I don't know. You always had a very clear understanding of like where this camera is coming cool. from and yeah. at what angle and why. And even as he's being tortured, he like keeps adding new angles and cameras. Like, cause he's still <laughs> conscious of the content being created even as he's like being tortured to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very fun, funny movie. Um, and genuinely creepy at times. Recommend it for Halloween. If you missed it in 2022, oh, yeah. save it for like October this year and you'll, you'll enjoy it. Um, Brittany also has a horror movie at her number seven, but maybe less of like a cartoonish descent into madness. My number seven, you know, kind of coming off of men being in this, you know, spooky manner is The Eternal Daughter, directed, written, produced by Joanna Hogg. So she did all these souvenir films that mm-hmm. I have not watched. Me neither. Um, but I know that this somehow ties into what she was trying to do with Souvenir, where it it sort of is about her. Like, there's this autobiographical aspect to it. So, in the Souvenir saga, this is okay. the best I understand it, Tilda Swinton's real-life daughter plays Joanna Hogg as a younger person. Okay. And Tilda Swinton plays Joanna Hogg's mother. So, she's playing her real-life daughter's fictional mother in the movie. And, this- and in this one, she plays both roles herself. 
And it's Tilda Swinton at the age she is now, uh, and also playing her own mother as a so second like, character. So, Souvenir is essentially getting us ready to watch Tilda Swinton be her and her mom yeah. at the same yeah. time. A very Sick. wide canon of films where Tilda Swinton plays her own um, relatives. Like, she does that very often. Uh, yeah, like, there's um, four main characters, and half of them are Tilda Swinton. <laughs> um, so, you get a lot of her in here. So, this film is about a daughter who takes her elderly mother to this spooky little hotel off the beaten path. And the hotel was at one point her mother's home, like where her mother grew up. And she's, the daughter's also a filmmaker. So she's trying to use this time with her mother to come up with like content to make a film. So like as her mom's recounting, you know, past things that happen in that space, like, she hesitates every time she does it, but she'll pull out her cell phone and start recording it. <laughs> and there's something weird about that where it's like, you you know, it's your mom. Like you should be comfortable doing that. But it's almost like what I picked up was that she was sort of abusing this time with her mother to be like a vampire and to suck everything out of it and, and then do something with it to, you know, build up her career she's like the dead stream guy she's creating content creating content <laughs> so there is this very amazing woman who works um at the front desk who's like a total bitch but in a fun way and she leaves every night in this like mini cooper to go party and the whole time like this hotel is supposed to be full but the only people you see at this hotel is the girl at the front desk this gentleman who acts as sort of like a concierge of some sort. And then Tilda Swinton and her, el and her elderly mother also played by her. Not, there were, this movie wasn't scary. Like there's nothing creepy about it. Like the whole, the ambiance and like the, the setting is scary. And the, the silence between all these characters is kind of creepy and off-putting, but I don't know. Like I was just really touched by this movie. Like Tilda Swinton, the, the younger character that she's playing like that this is it like she has her career she's married but doesn't have children and she kind of speaks to it a little later on like you know this is it like I just have my mother and and her father recently passed and it, it's just sort of this really depressing time where I'm like oh my god is this gonna be me and my mother 50 years down the road if I'm still kicking and she's still kicking. Are we going to be like going to like, I don't know. East Coast. The Yeah, the East Coast and like staying in a little hotel. And I'm, I mean, oh my God. It just started <laughs> making me think. And I was like, oh God, what's happening? But yeah, there's something, I don't know. Like it just felt personal. Like the, I don't, I don't know. It's um, very has, passive aggressive and like anxious. So like. Yes. The climactic scene, like you never see Tilda Swinton in the frame with herself. There's no like green screen thing going yeah. on there it's like all shot reverse shot um but you never really think about it too much like it, you take them as two separate characters yeah and like the climactic scene is this like birthday dinner where like oh. the mother's like i'm not hungry you eat first and i'll just enjoy watching you eat and the daughter's like no i, I can't do that I, i'm gonna wait till you're hungry and then i'll eat and they just go back and forth in this like kind of like one of them doesn't want to like make a move thing yeah. Yeah. and the anxiety of that is like horrifying <laughs> yeah way worse than any ghost would have been i'm glad you mentioned that like, there were times when i was watching this that i forgot that tilda swin was also playing the elderly mother because they felt so separate and she's not doing like an exaggerated voice or anything there's like some no. stage makeup but she's not like just a little stage makeup and a little gray hair yeah that's it. 
Oh my God, also another thing that I connected with, I'm like, Tilda Swinton brought her dog. I'm like, this is going to be me and my mother mm -hmm. and like my 25 dogs going to this little place on the East Coast. You know what I mean? Like I keep, I keep seeing it as like, you know, a film that's my future. Um, so yeah, the, I am the eternal daughter. <laughs> Well, Hannah, uh, your number seven and your number six ah, are both outliers. All Ooh. right, let me see. Okay, so my number seven um, was another one of the screeners. It is uh, Funny Pages, uh, directed by Owen Klein. It is about this little shithead teenager named Robert. <laughs> he wants to be a cartoonist, and he has this mentor, his like art teacher, who dies very early in the film, and then the rest of the film Robert is kind of he's it's like he's this very privileged guy in New Jersey and he's trying to reconstruct his life to be like an indie cartoonist and he's also trying to kind of like um soak off of the life of a former image color separator named Wallace who he meets at um the DA's office I think public offender the public defenders yeah, yeah that's right and to me, the film is like him, he's kind of grieving and he's also trying to figure out who he is as an artist. And he's just like slowly trashing his life and the life of other people around him. But he won't really experience any consequences because he does have this like very privileged life in New Jersey. So I really loved this film because it did remind me unfortunately of myself in high school and like college like I I was like really into Robert Crumb I wanted to be this like little indie cartoonist I was obsessed with comics and I also like came from a very privileged background like I didn't have any of the actual life cred of that kind of person and I just really appreciated how this film doesn't really give this guy like a redemption arc. It's really about like the climax of the film is like absolute chaos on Christmas day. He just fails so hard. Yeah, exactly. Spectacular failure. Absolutely. Like he fails spectacularly. You still get the sense that he like, he is safe. He hasn't ruined his life, but he is just, trashed the lives of like five to six other people he's agitated the mentally ill <laughs> right exactly who have who has repeatedly told him like leave me alone like don't pull me into your your little world um i saw this movie twice actually and the first time i watched it i knew it was going to be my top 10 the second time i feel like i really got it even more it's um was produced by the safety brothers i believe and there are just so many weird people in this film. Like, there's this scene where um, Wallace is trying to get Robert to, like, like antagonize a guy who works at the pharmacy at a Rite Aid. And Robert's, like, walking through the pharmacy, and there are just all of these strange people. There's this woman who's in a wheelchair, and she's, like, begging him for Percocet and saying, like, what the fuck are you doing here? Oh it's just, like... Oh my God, he has this like little apartment in like, tr I think Trenton, yeah. New Jersey <laughs> with these two, like, it's like in the basement. He's like not allowed to tell anybody that he lives there. 
like the boiler is always on so it's like <laughs> boiling hot and it's this movie is just like disgusting and grimy and strange yeah it was just like this really kind of thrilling film yeah i really really liked it too yeah same <laughs> <laughs> no I, I do love movies about shitheads yeah and like how like his parents are so they're good parents in here they're you know and i think when you're like a shitty teenager you just feel like oh these they're dictators like i hate (laughs) my parents i wish i could just get out this house and once i get my car i'm never coming back and and you look back and you're like damn i was a shithead i had it so good i had it so good (laughs) like this film really captures that um in a way that i don't think a lot of like coming of age stories do so like there are a lot of like i was just thinking of the edge of 17 where she's kind of she's kind of a shithead but Mm -hmm. she has like some like in some ways she's ignoring hardships that her family members are going through but she also has like some legitimate grievances and her arc is like she kind of realizes I'm being a shitty person and then she grows up a little bit. And it's just like this dude, maybe he realizes at the end what he's done. But like, unlike those other teen movies, it's just like you fucked up. You fucked up so badly and now you're going to sit in your comic shop and think about it. I don't know. I just thought it was, a. I hadn't really seen that before. The only like comparison point we haven't brought up yet that's like, very obvious is Ghost World. Yeah. And this movie is kind of just like a smaller, grimier, meaner meaner Ghost World. Yeah. And yeah, I really identified, even though I don't draw comics um, beyond the little doodles I do on the website, like, I definitely identified with, like, the stolen valor of being, mm-hmm. like, a struggling artist. And, right. Like, living, like, an authentic life in the city. Yeah, anyone who has sort of romanticized an artist's life and then actually had to deal with the, like, consequences of what that is. Right. Like, once they leave the nest... Um, this movie should resonate in some way. Right. It, it is like a smaller, more intimate movie than some of the other stuff we're talking about. Kind of like Eternal Daughter, where it's like all yeah. pretty like insular to this little world. But like, it hits really hard. The mm-hmm. jokes are very funny. <laughs> the like kind of cringe, dramatic moments like really make you squirm in your seat. You're like, you are fucking up so bad. Get out of there. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's a great film. And then my number six was uh, Parallel Mothers by Pedro Almodovar. Oh. I think we've talked about this a couple of times on the podcast, so I won't, like, you know, go into depth. But I love Pedro Almodovar, and this is another one of his, like, it is a kind of intimate melodrama and then has these, like, wider connections to historical um, erasure and identity and lineage and i like i think penelope cruz in this movie is just like she plays a complicated person so well she is like you know hiding the parentage of her uh, of the child that she's kind of like inadvertently stolen and you sympathize with her and like you're just with her at every step as she's trying to like decide, you know, what to do. And I love like the, like the broader historical connections with that, like kind of intimate character um, drama. It's just been too long since I've seen this. Like I saw in the theater in like, was February when it finally came to New Orleans and like, yeah, I really owe it a revisit at the time. It felt like a much bigger, like 
return to form for him than like pain and glory felt mm-hmm. like like this is like oh this is what he does great this sort of like complicated melodrama with all these different layers and the more he adds to it you don't realize how complex all these interpersonal relationships are until like the third act where you're like everyone knows each other in these like very tricky intricate ways and they've all kind of fucked each other over right. but like also deeply loved each other yeah. in different angles too and like it gets very messy in like a really um, astounding way. Yeah, it's just been it's been like almost a year since I've seen it. <laughs> I really want to revisit. Yeah, and I I think I just really appreciate how Almodovar is able to like fully reckon with those complicated relationships and also like find a way to resolve them in a way that feels like organic and natural and loving. Um, so yeah. If you missed this for some reason, you know, go watch it. If you haven't seen it in a long time, you know, go watch it again. One more thing I will say. Yeah. It's just thank you for bringing him up on the podcast so often because I would probably count him in my, like, top tier of, like, directors of all time now. Whereas, like, two years ago, I hadn't seen barely anything. Yeah. And you've brought it up, like, maybe three or four times now, and it's, like, it's rewarding every time. Yeah. Especially, like, that last conversation with, we had, like, the skin I live in. I was, like, bowled over by that movie. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, like, very appreciative to have Omodovar in my life now. Yay. So, I'm glad he came up again. Yes. I'm sure it won't be the last time. <laughs> oh, I hope not. <laughs> uh, James, you're number six. Another auteur entering the chat. Motherfucking Pinocchio. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro's. Oh, not the Zemeckis one? No, not the Zemeckis, which I've not seen, but I heard it's garbage. I I don't like Pinocchio. I Babo. You don't like the live action one? No, I it was it was fine. I just as a general story that's been done a lot of times, not a big Pinocchio fan. And yet this Guillermo del Toro version, I thought elevated it. It's the best version of Pinocchio I've ever seen. The like political context that he adds about like anti-authoritarianism. I guess that's what I never really understood about the original story was like Pinocchio basically wants to be a good boy and being a good boy is doing what your parents tell you to do. It's kind of the original message. Mm -hmm. And I always found that to be utter bullshit. And this (laughs) movie like takes why I thought it was bullshit and adds this like political context of fascism, you know, in the lead up to World War II to make it a really like kind of profound political statement while also it's gorgeous to look at. And it's like kind of grotesque, like Pinocchio in here is like, <laughs> like kind of a fucking weirdo. It's one of Del Toro's monsters. Like yeah. everyone's grossed out by his little puppet body. And he, he just wants to do boy stuff. You know, yeah. he wants to like, I want to go to church. I'm going to church. And everyone, he gets to church and everyone's like, who is this freak? Right. Get demon. him out of here. He is a demon. Aww. It was just so clever. Like even the Island of Lost Boys, he gets sent to like military mm-hmm. training. Just, I thought all the decisions they made with like tweaking the Pinocchio story made it better. I thought it was masterful. And again, as someone who hasn't cared for really any Pinocchio movies, to see one. The that, slander against the Italian one that just just came out is hurting my heart. I don't know. It's <laughs> it so good. <laughs> I forget what I rated it. I didn't dislike that one. Yeah. But 
Man, so good. it's so good. <laughs> I love. I did not see this one oh, yet, see, and okay. I love Pinocchio. I'm a big marionette freak too. Right. Yeah. Maybe could be the best Kate Blanchett performance. Oh, where she plays the the <laughs> monkey who just better than Tar is what I'm hearing. <laughs> Wait, is she tar? not the blue no, fairy she... in here? No, the blue no. fairy is played by um, Tilda Swinton, who also plays her own sister in the yes. film. Wow. She plays like two biblically accurate what angels. What is she yeah. doing? That, that <laughs> was another cool element. Like the idea that when Pinocchio dies, he does go to this weird purgatory afterlife. Yeah. And there's this like Ooh. crazy looking Tilda Swinton goddess creature. Yeah, almost like a sphinx. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, it's just like taking this classic story and the stuff they added to it just elevated it. And it was actually very emotionally impacting too, where like by the end when Geppetto is holding the lifeless Pinocchio, mm -hmm. you're like, oh my God, yeah. like, <laughs> get the, f like, you know, wiping the tears off your face. I have um, to fucking see this. Yeah. yeah, it's it's really good. It's dark and funny and has like a good political statement. About like misbehavior being a good thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like sometimes it's good to question authority yeah. and yeah. like, yeah, I, I I really loved it. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really good too. And you know, like you were saying, like in Pinocchio, he is a puppet, and in order to become a boy, he has to be like basically act like a puppet for his family, right? Yeah, like this which, is like, and this is like to be a puppet of the state. Right. Yeah, and there's a scene where like all of like the state or this guy who represents the military basically like the italian state and then this like charlatan circus guy and um pinocchio's father geppetto they're all kind of arguing over him so and they all are representative of some kind of authority or like a person that would use him for their own means mm. yeah i I think James is in the middle of watching this when I came home and he's like, yeah, I'm watching Pinocchio. And I sat down and then the like scene where Pinocchio is dancing with like a gun and a tank. And I was like, wait, what? This is Pinocchio? Yeah, wow. I love how they're like, yeah, you know, he's a perfect soldier because he can't die. Yeah. Yeah. Um, man, yeah. If, <laughs> if like, Shit. if there was like, a couple of great songs in here that's, too. That's yeah. the one problem. Yeah, it would have been like top five it, for sure. Two things you haven't mentioned yet, which is that it's a musical. It is a musical where the songs aren't very good. But it's I, also I ignored all that. It's also a stop motion animated film where the stop motion is fucking gorgeous. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I think the animation was like co-directed by the guy who did um, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Oh, really? So okay. it has all that like tactile, like sort of like found objects that Snake Meyer kind of like lived in antique look to it and yeah it's just a gorgeous display there are a lot of song and dance numbers that like <laughs> even in the theater i was like when will this end <laughs> i'm ready to move on i guess i've totally like forgotten about the because they're very not memorable right. no i was like as the songs were going on i was just going in my head uh, like I said with the political allegories yeah, yeah. and because the movie there's a lot has, to think about yeah there's a lot to think about to kind of tune out while some of these mediocre songs <laughs> are happening but yeah it, visually it is gorgeous and there's more stop motion animation yeah. to come on this list for I'm sure. sure one other thing i want to say about pinocchio like you know there's a huge canon of fairy tales i love fairy tale movies and fairy tales have like shifted over time and like you know been reinterpreted 
but with Disney, it's like there are so many fairy tales that came to Disney and then it's like they've stopped evolving and then Disney just kind of like regurgitates them every like five years uh-huh. as like, oh, this was animated, now we're going to make it live action or like, you know, we're going to change like this detail, you know, but but not really substantively reimagining or reinterpreting the fairy tales. They so, did it with Pinocchio yeah. this year. Exactly. Right. <laughs> exactly. So this was like, like, this is Pinocchio. It's a totally different story with like a similar mapping. And it's a really, really interesting reinterpretation, like looking at death and loss and, you know, what immortality means and authoritarianism. Like, it was, I just love any freshness that you can put into these fairy tales. Well, especially when you compare it to the god-awful Robert Zemeckis, right. oh my Tom god. Hanks. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just, like, I want to see so much more of that beyond, like, oh, we're going to do Cinderella, but, like, Cinderella's sassy now, you right. know? she's like, a girl boss. Right, exactly. Oh, god. Like, that, didn't they redo that this year, too? Yeah, with, like, Billy yeah. Porter was her, like, oh, uh, fairy godmother. Right. Yes, queen every five seconds. Yeah. Right. Poor thing. Well, Brittany... Oh my god, already? <laughs> oh, you're about to run the table. Uh-oh. You're Holy number yeah. six, you're number five, and you're number oh four. Well, you're shitting me. Oh, wow. I am. Go, Brittany. I'm a little shocked. Okay. These well, are all very good movies that we all enjoy. Okay, okay. well, I, I'm glad we can, I'm glad. So, uh, my number six is Triangle of Sadness. Oh, oh um, nice. Ruben Oslin, who we, we watched Force Majeure this year as well. We, we all fucking loved it. Mm-hmm. Same vibes with this one. I laughed so much for this movie, and I think that's why, like, I I just had such a good time with it. It's enjoyable, and it kind of, you know, we all, we get it. Like, rich, rich people are out of touch with fucking reality, and they fucking suck. And there's a lot of movies that came out this year, and, and then also, you know, this year, White Lotus was a big thing, too. Where the menu. Yeah, yeah, and the menu, which I did like the menu. It's the same shit over and over again, but there's something that Triangle of Sadness did that really touched me, and that was the piss, shit, and vomit. Yeah. Um, no small segment. That's like an hour right. of the film. Almost. The majority of this film is this disgusting captain's dinner where the boat is just rocking back and forth, and you know the the staff on this cruise ship have been told like your goal is to make these people happy and do whatever you need to do to make them happy and listen to them. So they're going about you know life like nothing's wrong because they're trying to hold it up for these horrible fucking people on the cruise ship. And the people on the cruise ship are so fucking selfish that they want to scarf down this food that they paid for, and they're acting like nothing's wrong because like they can't comprehend what it's like to have a problem almost mm-hmm. and it, and then it just i don't know it's like this snowball effect where it's a little at first like it's rocking someone throws up and you're like holy shit someone pizza the table and then before you know it like the toilets are exploding <laughs> and there's so there's this one woman who's like in her slip this old rich lady and she's like rolling back and forth in the shit water and throwing up oh, she's and slipping. sweating, slip and sliding and, and human excrement. And it is delightful. It's amazing. And, and during that entire sequence, they're reading Karl Marx quotes yes, over the loudspeaker. Yes. The, the, um, the captain of the ship is like fucking wasted and quoting Marx with this other guy who's a, as a passenger who's like a Russian capitalist. And, yeah. and they're both having this hilarious like conversation between each other. And then 
pirates find the boat and it's blown up with a weapon from one of the like the, there's a couple on the boat that like they they made their wealth through the weapons industry mm-hmm. and it's like their grenade and the boat blows up and then some folks get stranded on this island <laughs> and that the thing is what's so interesting is it almost feels like when they get stranded on the island like that's when the movie was going to kick off but it it really isn't like for me the disgusting explosion was the core of yeah. this movie and then once they're on the island it, you know things do take a, a turn you know all the rich idiots can't function properly and the woman who's been shit on by the staff as well um I, I can't remember her role. She was one maid, I believe. Yeah, she like basically scrubbed toilets. Yeah, she's like their Lord of the Flies leader, right? <laughs> um, and she takes the reins, and it's 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 just fucking cool. And I had a great time watching it, and I'm disgusting. So you know, I mean, oh no, that that scene is probably my favorite scene. <laughs> yeah. Yes, from, from any movie I've seen this entire year it was so cathartic uh, i think me brandon and hannah saw that together yeah and uh just howling i just like <laughs> very funny so yeah. much the most right. fun i've had yes watching a movie yes, it, that that particular scene it felt like a theme park ride God. a little yeah. bit you know there's a lot of adrenaline that was like running through my veins yeah and just the hubris of like we want all of the staff to have a water day and like, okay, we're going to let the seafood sit out for like five hours (laughs) and like no understanding of consequences or of like what it takes to actually run a ship or the world, which is like also why they have no real world skills. Right. So yeah, that's like the decision that lights the bomb of shit and piss. (laughs) I just just love, I love Osterlin, like his filmography from what I've, you know, with the square, which was interesting, not great, but like force majeure. And I just Uh love his like social commentary satire. Things I, I don't love have what he to does. be subtle to be enjoyable. Yeah. Like, he's very blatant, but kind of like we were saying about the ending of Men, like he goes so hard Go, at the yeah, topic he, that it's like cathartic to yeah. see it like played out in such like explicit on the surface terms. Yeah. And very funny to watch these people suffer in such like <laughs> human ways. Like it's like yeah. you can see yourself like with the flu or something right. going through this same like disgusting yeah it's like i remember when i had food poisoning yeah, yeah. Right. a lot like that yeah like you can have billions of dollars but you still have a gastric system exactly, exactly. <laughs> still gonna shit everywhere i guess i'll keep i'll keep going i got two more um number five the northman oh um, yeah that yes. was totally like like you were saying about parallel mothers i just so saw it so long ago and uh, i was like why isn't this on my i will say it's great i think Triangle of Sadness and The Northmen are both on my top 20. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I got you, Brittany. Yes. So this is a Robert Eggers movie who we we like this guy, right? We like The Lighthouse. We like The Witch. He's a a talented fucker. And this movie is just fucking badass. Like it is just a fucking badass Viking revenge tale. And there's so much like testosterone in this movie that like i'm like i'll never need hormone pills (laughs) um it was amazing i enjoy watching all these like ripped dudes just like tearing shit apart and beating each other up and 
tearing apart little villages, which was kind of interesting. But what's so interesting, too, about this movie, because it is an Eggers movie, we got a couple of farts. Yes. And we have some surprising romance as well. Like, the the tender romance that pops up in this movie is so unexpected, where, you know, it's, like I was saying, it's just there's a lot of, you know, rough, bloody energy and people pulling each other apart. And then there's this, you know, sweet romance between Anya Teller-Joy and um, Alexandra Skarsgård's character that I thought was awesome. Um, perhaps the best love story of 2022. <laughs> and also there is um, a delightful incestuous twist. Oh, yeah. That um, I know we all enjoy. From the president <laughs> of movies herself. Yes, Nicole Kidman. Oh, my God. But... Yes, like I just I loved the the energy this movie gave me. Like this was the first no, the second film I think I saw this year, but like y'all were saying it was so early in the year that I I just felt like so powerful when I got out of that theater. I was like I feel ripped. I, I think I threw up. <laughs> I like, want to eat a raw steak immediately. I think I threw up like the devil horns multiple yeah. times. Like, Fuck yeah. <laughs> it's pretty metal. <laughs> it's yes. metal. It is uh, so metal. <laughs> and it's just, you know, I I haven't seen that many Viking movies. I did like that TV series, Vikings. But this was a fucking good Viking tale. Yeah. Good Viking revenge tale. Yeah. This is one that I, I think I know why it wasn't on my list. Um, and I do really like it. Uh, like I said about all these movies. But yeah, I feel like it's one whose story isn't done. Like I feel like Eggers had a lot of compromises with the studio. Okay. Because uh, this is him not working with like A24. It's him working yeah. with like, this bigger, like real studio budget. And I don't think he got to, like, have his cut. And mm. I'd like to see, like, maybe in 10 or 15 years, if he gets, like, a director's cut, like, Ooh, reissue yeah. the movie. Yeah. What More farts, probably. It's kind of like what we're saying about Alex Garland with men. Like, it feels like not quite his usual thing. And I, I kind of want to see, like, what his, like, total control version of this yeah. movie would be. But I also feel like maybe the trade-off was worth it to, like, get big studio oh, the money. the scale is way Because the right. scale of it is kind of what's so mesmerizing, yeah. like, Damn, it's it's just a movie that feels big. There's a fight at like the foot of a volcano. Hell that, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just totally naked, butt right. naked in a volcano. Yeah. Yeah. Two dudes, a dad, father and son. So hot, so hot. <laughs> and then oh. we we got some like Anya Taylor Joy witch stuff too, which yeah. is it's like the like this She's is so a, cool in here. Yeah, this is like a man movie. It's like just big muscles and axes, but we have some of that like feminine like dark energy too exactly. and she's she's very cool she's very hot she's it's very yeah, good she's fabulous in this yeah movie. and i do agree that their relationship is one of the best parts yeah of yeah. It. yeah yeah just a root for him okay um from big men to little girls for your next one <laughs> <laughs> spooky little girls so number four <laughs> is hatching Oh, oh, nice. I Yay! love this movie. Um, so this is a, a Finnish body horror film that stole my little heart, directed by Hannah Bergholm. It is about this young girl. She's like 10 or 12. And her mother is, oh gosh, she reminds me of like a fucking dance mom. Like this girl's a gymnast and her mom is like this big perfectionist. Mm-hmm. She has a blog and she's like, I have the perfect fucking family. And um, she's very, very hard on her daughter. And a crow flies into their house, 
you know, the perfectionist mother like snaps its neck and throws it in the trash and the daughter, if I'm not mistaken, she like hears it and realizes that it's still alive. So she brings it out into the woods and like, it's like, I'm going to end your misery. So I'm going to bash you in with your head and with a stone to kill you, kill you. And then she finds a little egg, a little mysterious egg. She brings the egg into her house <laughs> and it becomes like her thing where she's like, I'm going to take care of this egg. It eventually hatches and this like spooky little bird-like creature comes out but it has this like really strong bond with the little girl and she like secretly raises this bird in her bedroom and then the bird starts to like take all this frustration that she holds in and expresses it in a violent way like I hate the dog that barks bird kills the dog and it gets more and more intense. And then as the bird develops, it becomes her, like her doppelganger. And, you know, it's sort of like, if you thought fucking Black Swan had weird feather body shit, like this, <laughs> I don't know. I just thought that the the quality of this movie was awesome. Mm-hmm. Like the character, the, the fucking creepy girl bird was, you know, almost on par with... um What's his face from Malignant? Gabriel. Oh, Gabriel. You know what I mean? Like a, a horror icon. And it was just a good a, a good story where, I don't know, I kind of thought it did a really good job of showing those, like, you know, frustrations of obtaining perfection mm-hmm. and, and having, you know, all that stress put on you at such a young age. And, like, this bird represents sort of her escape. Yeah, I really liked the aesthetic of it too it's very saccharine like perfect suburbia look yeah very clean everything looks pretty and then you just have this terrifying bird (laughs) i loved it the rot of your like stress and anxiety and and pressure i do also love whenever like she pukes and the bird eats it oh yeah and it's like oh my god i have to chew and (laughs) in your mouth to feed you it's just it's so gross yeah her mothering the creature is what makes it special because like Mm -hmm. i mean i'm gonna be on board with any creature feature where you come up with a new monster and i'm like "Ooh, look at that right i'm excited by that all the time but like there's also a lot of movies about these like monstrous transformations that come through in puberty so like carrie or teeth or jennifer's body or you know like that's a pretty well-worn metaphor but like I enjoy all those movies. I'm not denigrating any of those. Right. But this adds another layer where, like, the transformation happens, but it's, like, through this, like, mothering thing where, like, these mothers are living through their children on two different levels. Yeah. Um, and I think that complicates that metaphor enough so that it feels mm-hmm. new and different mm-hmm. that you can't right. find that anywhere else. Right. Yeah. It's really smart. I mean, another movie that's very smart about its budget, too. It, it looks fake but the world that they're in is fake right and like that's very purposeful but the creature is like phenomenal yeah it's like half puppet half cg and they they did a good job of mixing those yeah Yeah. my number two is another animated film but it's hand-drawn animation for the most part uh it's inuo it's a japanese film not on anyone else's list because it's just been fucking hard to see like i saw it in the theater in july and i don't think it's reached like an affordable video on demand platform yet it's set in feudal japan it's about these two unlikely friends one is a biwa priest so he plays this like kind of guitar-like instrument and tells stories of these like fallen soldiers in these japanese wars and the other is a dancer that does like interpretive dance to those stories and like brings them to life and that's a very like popular art form in their time but 
the priest is blind and the dancer is for lack of a better word a mutant uh, <laughs> he's got all these like strange limbs and like misplaced body parts from basically his father throwing him in the trash when he was born because he was like born disabled and by combining their like disabilities and their like outsider status they become these like glam rock gods in their time and they start playing with their gender identity and like telling the story of their outsiderness that sort of explodes the whole Biwa priest tradition um, and operates outside what the emperors want to do with that storytelling style. And I want to say like the last hour and a half of the movie is like almost pure musical sequences. Uh, it becomes this like kind of glam rock opera set in feudal Japan. And their friendship is just very like endearing. Uh, their sort of like gender fucked image as it develops becomes very strange. And uh, there's like this sort of like DIY pyrotechnic style of like stage performances that become very fun and beautiful and psychedelic. The only other movie I've seen from this director was Night is Short, Walk on Girl, which is very psychedelic. And I think Mind Game is his biggest, uh, most popular one. Yeah. Um, and all his work is just visually gorgeous. And yeah, I love this movie a lot. Yeah. I desperately want to see this. Yeah, this sounds, sounds really this cool. sounds yeah. great. And Brittany. Oh my God. The, <laughs> the final outlier. Oh my God. And of course it's no. yours. Okay. Your number two of the year. Really? Okay, this is the least shocking one. Come on. Okay, my number two is Miss Harris Goes to Paris. Uh, okay. I knew that was going to be on your list. Okay, this was probably the best feel-good movie that I've seen since, like, Paddington 2. Um, and it does give those, like, Paddington 2, like, wholesome vibes. <laughs> so, Miss Harris Goes to Paris, directed by Anthony uh, Fabian is a film about a woman, Miss Harris, and she is this cleaning lady in kind of a, you know, she's she's a little older, probably, you know, late 50s, early 60s, and she's so used to, like, doing everything for everyone, folks taking advantage of her. Um, you know, there's one woman who she cleans her house and she just isn't getting paid, but this lady's, like, you know, filthy rich. And she's sort of just ignored. And one day while she's cleaning this, you know, bitchy woman's home, she sees this, like, dress. And there's this beautiful scene where this gown just, like, glows. And you look at every, like, every little detail of it is highlighted. And she falls in love. And then she makes it this, like, mission of hers is I'm going to go to Paris and I'm going to get a dress from Dior for me. Like, that's her goal. And so she works super hard and she gets her little train ticket and she goes to Paris and she's like automatically, it's very pretty woman. You know, she goes to like the house of Dior and yeah. they're like, who is this trashy woman coming in here? <laughs> but it's at the time where everything was like couture. Like you would go to a fashion store, you'd watch a little fashion show and go, okay, I want that number five dress. I want this. You couldn't just, nothing was off the rack. So, you know, she sees this dress that she, like, immediately falls in love with. And there's another woman who who's watching her and sees, like, okay, this, like, trashy woman cannot get this dress. And I'm, and I have money and I'm just, I'm going to buy it just so she can't get it. And it's heartbreaking. 
because it's just, you know, it's like sort of her last dream mm-hmm. almost. This is her one thing, you know? Right. Yes, like let her have this thing. And it's, you know, this woman pur- purposely like purchases it. And then Miss Harris is like, okay, well, what's the second best one? There it is. And, and she spends like a week in Paris getting fitted for it. And slowly all the people that work at Dior fall in love with her. Aww. And she gets this dress and she goes back to London with it. And she has such a good heart that one of the girls, she's a younger girl, but um, she cleans for her family. She's like, oh no, like something happens to where she's going to some big event and she her dress doesn't fit or it's messed up. I can't remember exactly what happens. And Miss Harris is like, I have something you can borrow and lets her borrow it. Now, this girl could give two shits about the meaning of it. It's just a, a beautiful dress she gets to wear. And she ends up like, fucking it up like it catches on fire it comes back to miss harris all tattered and torn and it's like this was this woman's like highlight of her entire life and you you treat it like garbage and you you didn't care enough about it to respect it and it's just so heartbreaking and then the whole time you're just waiting you're like what's gonna happen you wanted to get that dress so bad and then eventually spoiler alert the dress comes and i like cried same for like, <laughs> I cried so bad. I was like, oh my God, she got the dress that she wanted because the people of Dior loved her. And also she um, helps the, the Dior workers like rise up against the big, the head of the house of Dior themselves. And they get like, you know, fight for like workers' rights. That yeah, she some leads. like labor uh, organizing that she does while she's there. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, it's just, it's good. It's just a very sweet, wholesome movie that like you can't not like like if anyone watched this and they didn't feel any joy something's wrong with you (laughs) and i will fight you (laughs) until you feel the joy of miss harris what is the like how is it set up like do you have a plan for if you are killed during one of these stunts like will it still be in the movie Wow, if it's if I'm killed, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, but so luckily, I made it. You didn't make it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you don't have like in your will, like I if anything made it. Or is to happen to me, I want to make sure my fans see me die. Yeah, may, yeah. No, maybe maybe not the death. All right. So now some movies that are on more than one person's list. So Brittany can take a break <laughs> for a while. Thank <laughs> hey, God. Oh yeah. Uh, my number eight was also Hannah's number eight. Oh, really? And I just talked about it last episode, so I think we should just let you take over for this Oh, one. okay. So I saw this uh, very recently. Uh, this is Please, Baby, Please by Amanda Kramer, starring Andrea Riseborough, who is just absolutely incredible in this movie, and Harry Melling. Um, they play a couple in, like, it's like Midtown New York in the, I think it's like 1960s. In the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's this biker gang called the young gents and this couple happens upon this biker gang um and they it seems that they've killed this couple and they're like very startled by this but like witnessing this event kind of instigates changes in both of them they're both like reevaluating their uh relationship reevaluating like their gender performance and sexual identity and it's just an absolutely gorgeous movie. Like, there's gel lights. It's saturated, like, 
pinks and blues and everything is like hyper caricaturized and it's just like this absolutely like beautiful little journey of this couple into this like into the underground in New York. I thought it was super fun and then I also like there was a lot of kind of loneliness and tenderness especially with Harry Melling's character who's like starting this flirtatious relationship with one of the gang members um, and then Andrea Riseborough it just like comes into her own as this absolutely why like she wants to be the leader of the gang basically and she wants to be like the Stanley Kowalski and she like she's just absolutely wild and I think you said feral Brandon yeah. and I think that that's like a pretty fair estimation the dialogue it feels like very scripted and kind of contrived and like and playful and it also reminded me of like the 20th century a little bit in yeah. visual style it's a very fake yeah world right exactly but yeah i just i thought it was like a really super fun playful like gender bender yeah i love this movie i her performance like you were talking about mia goth and pearl this is that if if not on the level it's like competition i guess i'll throw in um resurrection as well Ooh. for just like stunning lead performance from an actor this year yeah. andrea riseborough's insanely mm riveting in this film yeah you cannot predict how she will read her next line at any moment <laughs> and she becomes like fetishistically obsessed with um becoming marlon brando in yeah. both the wild ones and in um streetcar named desire yeah and like her performance of masculinity is basically just like a caricature of him through this kind of like drag king kind of performance but like you said earlier like feral version of that where like it's inhuman and like yeah. Raw and passionate and just very funny. Yeah. Um, the one thing revisiting it that I couldn't really, like, place was her and her husband are both kind of questioning masculinity and how it is integrated in their lives and how they perform it. Mm -hmm. She wants to be that Marlon Brando ideal, and he's, like, yeah. running away from it. Like, yeah. why do I have to perform that? Like, right. why do I have to be anything? What really throws a wrench in that is uh, Demi Moore's character is this, like, upstairs housewife for like this rich guy that we never see mm -hmm. and she's just surrounded by all these domestic appliances yeah. and like finery and like lingerie and just like uh you know she's like a very hyper femme woman and i feel like andrea riseborough is equally mesmerized by her and like how she performs gender yeah and i think that complicates the movie enough that there's more going on than just what is masculinity anyway which is a question it asks like pretty right. outright so I don't know, it's a really fun mix of like academic discussions of gender and just like fun John Waters style, like artificial performance and artificial costuming and set design. Like you would not mistake any moment of this for like a real world drama, I don't yeah. think. Uh, it's got this kind of like stage play fake. Right, to exactly. It. Yeah, which is really yeah, in in the setting and the dialogue, like all of the delivery is like like hyper contrived. Yeah, and then and she has all of these, like, she gets the keys to Demi Moore's apartment. And Demi Moore has all of these appliances that she refers to as, like, giant vibrators, basically, because she doesn't do any <laughs> domestic work. But Andrea Riseborough has all of these fantasies about these biker gang members in the apartment, like, like grinding up against, like, the washer and the dryer. And they have, like, 
uh, like a leather jacket and then they have like little white like boxers and these like harnesses like kind of like propping them up so she her fantasies are like she's the ringleader in all of those fantasies but she's not necessarily always like butch yeah. so she does have I do feel like her journey in the film is not just like I'm gonna become a man it's like getting a position of power that is grounded in her identity and also not like not based in the the only power that women have or like the power that women traditionally have of like controlling things um kind of subversively yeah there are just like so many i, I was re-watching it to get stills for drawings and they're just like the movie is really really funny but there are these really sad moments where people are like looking for connection like her and her husband having these crises of identity but still like finding themselves together is like finding companionship in each other even as they're changing and then the final scene of her like like with bloodied hands smoking a cigarette and crying like it's a super super interesting movie and also like deliciously fun and the next movie on our list is also about masculinity in its own way. Uh, this is a movie James and I saw in the theater together. Oh. <laughs> uh, it was James's number 10 and my number 6. Jackass Forever. Yes. Ooh, what a great film. And what a great film to see with your bro of many yeah, yeah. years. <laughs> I, it got me a little emotional at the end there. Yeah, we talked about Jackass on the show not long ago, and mm -hmm. we were talking, I mean, to bring up John Waters every single time a movie comes up, like, we were talking about how, like, Pink Flamingo's influences, like, its version of reality TV, and watching this in the theater with, like, a crowd again, I was like, I believe it even more than ever, like, just the amount of genital mutilation and just, like, feces and just, like, shock value humor felt very John Waters, but... Jackass has been around for 20 years since the first movie came out. And like you were just saying, the sentimentality of it over time, which is these people still being friends and still surviving and being on their feet after yeah. all those decades of like mutilating themselves for your entertainment becomes like heartfelt and emotional in a way that it can't help well, but do naturally. And them like looking out for each other, like, Hey Johnny, I don't think you should do this. Like we've been doing this to our bodies for <laughs> 20 something years. Like this stunt, is going to be very bad for you. Like the camaraderie and the brotherhood that has lasted over like two decades. And then, you know, in the, the end they dedicated to Ryan Dunn, like being in a friend group like that, where you get old enough where people have passed away and like band couldn't participate. Cause he's like going through some shit with like, you know, drug abuse, just like that camaraderie and guys looking out for each other and, Hey, once a year we're gonna meet up and bash the shit out of our genitals and and then passing that off to new generation too as part of the film. Like, yeah, it was surprisingly sentimental and sweet. And I remember watching um Johnny Knoxville get that like really harsh concussion from the bull. Mm -hmm. And like it seemed like you have to stop. This is so bad for your body, you have to be done. And then like a couple months later, y'all saw him doing wrestling spots. Right. Yeah. On national television with like members of this movie, like cast members of this movie. Yeah. And he said in interviews, like he's addicted to it. He loves it. It's he his can't passion. Stop. <laughs> he's my Tom Cruise. A lot of people are praising Tom Cruise <laughs> for like pushing his body to the limits on screen. 
Johnny Knoxville, I actually like appreciate the. This effort. was his Maverick. Yeah, yeah. And that that match was so. We went to that WrestleMania, yeah. and that match was so incredibly fun. Yeah, like, very cool. The yeah. audience was so into all the spots. But anyway, yeah, I don't like. You know what a jackass movie is. You know like, to, and it, <laughs> I, you know, reading online, some people are like, "Oh, the stunts weren't quite as good in this one." Like, the in the second one where he did that other thing to his balls, like that was. <laughs> better i'm like because first of all like it's a jackass movie you're gonna laugh your ass off but it was that really like sweet emotional core in this one that really brought it into my like top 10 i liked how like you know i think everyone that said a lot of shit about this movie they didn't like it like they were expecting some fucking blow your head off prank that somebody would die like, but the point of them is like they're not gonna they're not gonna push it to like let's do something crazy, crazy, crazy. Like it's the it's the same stupid shit. Yeah, yeah. Which I love and I find comfort in. Like someone's gonna you know do something <laughs> weird with their wiener. There's gonna be feces at some point. Like someone's gonna you know fly off a slide or something. There's gonna be a lot of ass stuff. Like I like the comfort in knowing what I'm gonna expect, and I just love that they were all like. They're all like dad age now. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they're they're older, but they have so much fun. Like they were glowing while they were doing all yeah. that shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's crazy. And this love, is my self care. Yes, yeah, so you could tell they were just <laughs> genuinely happy. And yeah. it's nice to watch people do stuff that you know they were born to do, and that it's really like. <laughs> and it's like you you were put on this earth, and you're fulfilling your purpose, and you're loving doing it. And it's just nice to watch it happen. Well, and like some of the the new blood, I don't think are as good as the old jackass crew but i think the point is like yeah there's always going to be a fresh crop right. of young people that are going to like want to do some crazy shit for laughs and like that was endearing too it's timeless it's like, like how they embrace these new people instead of being like oh we're better than them it's like let's invite them on like the people that we influence like i can't think of i like the the chunkier guys Zach is it zach something, yeah something? it's just zach yeah zach I find him to be like funny. I thought Poopies had a very fun name to say. Poopy. Anytime they said Poopies, I, I was poopy. laughing. Poopy. Yeah, but it, I just think I thought it was really sweet. It's you know, it's like they're not like we're not competing with you. It's like we appreciate you mm-hmm. and we're mentoring you right. to okay. getting your you know balls stepped right. on. Now gather around and watch me flatten my penis right. using as a ping pong paddle. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great scene. Come, children. I love the the ultimate like intro with the the penis monster Godzilla like, thing yeah. was just phenomenal. Hilarious. Well, we, I was thinking too, like we did that episode on like Charlie Chaplin and just seeing like where practical or physical comedy Mm -hmm. has evolved to and it felt like we're watching like a modern day buster keaton yeah Yeah. that is good stuff maybe a little more dour and highbrow hannah's number 10 and james's number five this is uh, vortex oh wow vortex is the movie that came out i think actually last year but it didn't make it to the states until this year it's a new film by gaspar no who is the french provocateur he did climax which i think we all enjoyed you know irreversible enter the void i've been a big fan of his to varying degrees like throughout the years and i think this is definitely his i guess most like normal 
film, it almost feels like him trying to do like an award mm-hmm. season kind of deal, but not compromising in his sheer like kind of brutality. And it also very much reminds me of like a more just a Michael Hanukkah film of like basically a similar plot. It's two people, older couple living in an apartment and they're both dying. The woman has dementia uh, or Alzheimer's. The husband played by Dario Argento has like heart issues. And the film has this, and I don't even want to call it a gimmick because it's not a gimmick. It is really core to what, why the film is so effective, but it's all shot in split screen. So we're kind of seeing both of their lives separate from one another as they go about their daily existence. This movie and also Lux Eterna, which came out, that was last year too, right? Yeah, it, it was a slow rollout from festivals to like being accessible. It's, mm-hmm. It finally hit theaters and then Shudder as well. Last year. And Lux Eterna I just saw recently, but they're both amazing movies and i think lux eternal was on your top 20 20 yeah. that i think is more the traditional gasper no style like seizure inducing <laughs> like, for like real. I, yeah for real and like blinding cool, yeah. like shit with witches and the patriarchy and i don't know like the end of that film i had to look away because i actually was getting like <laughs> nauseous and, like i yeah. couldn't i couldn't look at it but I loved it because it's like film is like this visceral, physical reaction. Mm-hmm. Psychedelic. Psychedelic. Yeah. And I don't know, like in a way, Vortex is like that too. Not the acid trip aspect, but just the sheer, not really nihilism, but just like really getting at something like elemental about being alive and I love a good movie that's going to make me feel like shit. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> like, that's why I force y'all to sit through a bunch of Michael Hanukkah movies. Like, I love a movie that's going to hit me over the head with, like, you're going to die one day. We're all going to die. Oh. There's nothing <laughs> no. after it. No, I know. And it's like, I, but maybe that's my special place in this podcast where, like, I love to subject myself to that because. I come out the other end feeling affirmed. Yeah. And like Vortex was that movie this year for me. When Dario Argento's character passes away at the end and you see him alone on the floor in his house, having a heart attack in the middle of the night, being brought to the hospital, he passes away. And then you've watched for like two hours, their split screen, their two separate lives And then when you watch his fade to black and she is alone, that crushed me in a way that like nothing else has really crushed me this year and really emotionally. And then when you see her alone and then she passes and then you see the family cleaning up their belongings Mm -hmm. that they've lived in their whole life and then their apartment is clean and empty and then they're gone. It's just like. Holy shit, I feel really bad, right? I need to go like take a walk. I need to go hug my girlfriend and pet my cats and like get yeah, and so this felt like Gaspar no like the stuff he's been doing his whole career just kind of more mature, a little more maybe Oscar Beatty, not as like trippy but just as devastating. And uh 
yeah, this movie fucked me up. <laughs> Pretty yeah. bad. Yeah, really sad. <laughs> Didn't really we watch sad. this for an episode? Yeah. I remember it now. Like whenever, at first when you said the word vortex, I'm like, oh, is this going to be like a sci-fi thing? And then I forget that it's about those two like sweet little yeah. people. Yeah, it was, I think it was for like the best of the year so yes. far. Yes. I yeah. liked it a lot. Yeah. And that's what I felt inspired after watching it because I really like going to estate sales and like sometimes <laughs> when you go to an estate sale, it's just a, you know, like a family that's moving and like, yeah, sell all my shit. I'm moving. But then a lot of times it's people that either pass away or they're like going to like an old folks home. And the saddest thing ever is when you're looking through their stuff and their photo albums are yeah. left, like personal yeah. stuff. So sometimes I buy them. I have oh. like all kinds of dead people's um, yeah. 1970s, like. Christmas party photos if y'all ever want to see it's them. It's like, yeah, you're like honoring. Yeah, it's like, instead of going that, to the yeah. trash, could you imagine right. just like going in a trash? Like it just freaks me out. And it reminds me of Vortex. Like when I was watching Vortex, like I was like, oh my God, this well, is just like when I rummage through all their shit. And I, and I love to the lived in feel of the apartment right. in this movie because yes. it's cluttered with shit. All like their you books tell, and his right. research yeah. and things like that. Yeah, they're both academics. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's very claustrophobic and they're navigating like stacks of books and papers yeah. and like that is the stuff that makes up your stuff the is the stuff that, evidence that you right. that you existed and then oh. you know at the end when they have to rent out the apartment to someone else so they have to clean all that stuff out it's yeah. like the removal Ugh. of all the evidence that you existed yeah just like, just oh boy goes to a goodwill <laughs> yeah. somewhere like um, oh my god for britney lombas to pick up yeah but it, it's it's Keith. definitely a difficult <laughs> film the you know performances are great who knew dario argento could act yeah, you know, that was a yeah. surprise. He was very good. In he it. was really good in there. Yeah, and their relationship is interesting too because it's not like a perfect marriage either. Like he mm-hmm. is trying to talk to this old lover because I think he knows like I'm going to be dead soon, and I desperately, you know, and yeah, and she's great too, just being lost. Poor right. Thing. Like in yeah. the beginning, they're sleeping in bed together, and it's not split screen. And then I guess it's either when her like dementias kicked in or like just there's a division between them now and then you see it slowly fade to split screen just like really well done like again not a gimmick just a a visual device visual device that just heightens everything in the movie and he he also does it in lux eterna for a completely different for completely (laughs) different effect yeah but i don't know last year gaspar no released like two fantastic Movies, I think I just picked this one because it just fucked my shit up and I had to include it on my list. Yeah. So Vortex to me is like in the same kind of realm of like Amour and of the father, like because of like, like following someone who is aging and, you know, someone who has dementia. And between those three films, like this film feels the least manipulative to me the father to me is like is like a manipulative movie like it's it's really pushing you into like sentimentality and then more is just like so fucking hard to watch it's too brutal and nihilistic yeah, this right. is way more it's punishing human. right exactly so this film is i mean it is difficult to watch but it's not punishing you it just feels honest and like i really like the character of their son who's like trying to 
trying to mediate between the two and to like make sure that his uh, parents' lives are in order and also dealing with his own things. And I didn't feel like the ending was like heartbreaking. What? Like <laughs> I felt <laughs> it it felt like very life affirming to me. It is matter of fact like first the husband dies I think it fades to green and then fades to black. He leaves behind his wife and his son, and then the wife dies. And then they're, all of their things, you know, are taken care of, disposed of. But it just, it felt like, like, this is just what it is. Like, they're dead. They had a good life. Their son loves them. And now they're gone. And it, it just, it felt like acceptance of... Like the ultimate endpoint for everybody. That's one thing I really appreciated about this film versus the others. It's like in the other, those other films like Death, it's terrifying and like almost this impossibility. And this movie sees it through to the end in a very, uh, like in a very measured way. Like, of course, it's scary to die, but we'll all get there and then life will continue. Like, I think that that's really beautiful. But <laughs> yeah, I, It's a rough watch, but you'll come out the other side of it with a, maybe a deeper understanding of your own fears of death. Or yeah. <laughs> well, the next movie might not be any easier to discuss. Um, it's James's number seven and Hannah's number five. Also oh, like boy. a subtle emotional impact. Yeah. It's hard to describe. All right. So this is After Sun, directed by Charlotte Wells. I was talking to my mom about this movie this morning, and I just started crying. So I, you know, I'm going to make it through. But so this is about a girl on vacation with her father in Turkey when she's like 11 or 12. And it's established that she is actually like an adult and in a relationship um, she has a child and she's kind of reflecting on this vacation. She has some VHS footage that, that she's watching, or video camera footage that she's watching. And it's like she's kind of trying to understand what this vacation meant and, and the state of her father at the time that it happened. So her father is this, like, he's very loving but he's obviously going through a difficult time and it's not clear what's happening. You know that her parents are divorced and he is like having trouble finding a job. He's lonely. He doesn't have a lot of money. So the vacation starts out pretty well. And then as it goes on, he's like increasingly unable to maintain the boundaries between his like personal suffering and like her experience and he's also realizing that his per there are little hints that she is developing the same kind of suffering as he is like she she says to him for instance like do you ever feel like you have a really good day and then you come home and you just feel sad and and he's like he has this really strong emotional reaction to that of like, he can't keep that from her. And most of it is pretty like, pretty concrete, but there are these moments where she as an adult is in this like strobe light dance club and she sees him dancing and his dancing is just like, he's so angry 
and like obviously is feeling strong emotions that he like is trying to express and i mean basically the movie follows the trip up until they depart like they part ways at the airport but like you get the sense that this is the last time potentially that she sees him and there's this moment where she's in this like psychic space with him as an adult and she runs up to him and she grabs him and it's just like it's like you understand that she understands what he was feeling when when they were on that vacation together and she's like angry and and like screaming and trying to hold him at the same time and it's like like I think the thing that really affects me about this movie is like understanding that your parents are people when you're an adult and like realizing when they have suffered when you were a child and you had no idea you know and also understanding like understanding that you have probably felt the same way that they did without realizing it and like if you've lost a parent or you're disconnected from a parent like all you have is that memory of them and like knowing that you got this thing from them and you understand them <laughs> maybe that's like comprehensible or not but most of the movie is this like very subdued vacation in turkey with these like really bright sunny moments and then it's like really pervaded by this like deep emotional darkness and i just like i just like cried for 10 minutes after i watched it, it i thought it was really beautiful i love this movie and i loved the way it's shot to his suffering is always sort of in the background. Like he's always sometimes like out of frame just a little bit to where you can tell like he's off in his own world feeling something. But, you know, the movie is definitely centered around her point of view. But I thought it was really impactful. The idea of like the VHS recording. You know, you record something and you you watch it back and the tape degrades over time. And it's sort of like the memory too. like her watching this old VHS and it's all grainy. And it's like when you lose someone and it's been years and or decades and you try to go back and like hold on to those memories and they slowly the tape degrades over time. Like the film really captured that like she's constantly filming and you see like her point of view through the camera and then at the end she's watching the footage she shot so i thought that was like a really great metaphor for like memory and loss and then yeah the last like 10 minutes with the or 15 minutes with she comes up to him in this like dance sequence and the goodbye at the airport is really really emotionally yeah it's really emotional stuff i personally loved it um so yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I liked it as well, but uh, I, I don't know that it hit me emotionally the way it hit a lot of critics yeah. and people. Like, I don't know if it was screener fatigue where I was watching like <laughs> five movies a day and I was oh, just God. like, I can see what this one's doing, but like yeah. I'm not feeling it, you know. But I still thought it was a very well done movie, especially for a debut. Like, yeah, I think. Honestly, part of the impact for me, too, is I watched it right after Pinocchio. <laughs> You're a prime defeat. Right? I don't wow. know. There was something about yeah. those movies. Parental like link, stuff. Double yeah, feature. parental stuff right. about loss. And 
I was like making connections between Aftersun and Pinocchio in my mind. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I am really affected by like movies that are looking at parents that are like, like they have to balance their personal demons with being a parent. Like that's so terrifying to me. The idea that like you can, you can do everything in your power to be a good parent and Mm -hmm. still be like overwhelmed by something that that you like barely have control over like it's very hard for me to watch those movies but it's like it really is emotionally fruitful another element to it is she's like coming into her own sexuality mm-hmm. and mm. i thought i mean i don't know what it's like to be a 12 year old girl but i know it's like to go through puberty and to become aware of sex and like that was always in the background with yeah. this too. And like, like this movie is very subtle. And even with that stuff, like there's a scene where her and this boy, she likes, they meet up to play this like motorbike gang or sorry, motorbike game. And it's one of the games. So like, remember at the arcade, where you got to like yeah. move with the, the bike. Sweet. And at some yeah. point they're like, their legs just touch. And you know, it's like a, a little moment in the and the film is full of those like little moments mm. that mean a lot that mean yeah. a lot and like when you're 12 and like your leg yeah, totally. touched the person <laughs> you're like oh my god it's like the heavens have opened up and like yeah. that's what i loved about this movie not just with the budding you know teenage sexuality but also about like depression and with parental figures it was very subtle and it was like very observational yeah. About the small, well observed about the small little details Mm -hmm. of our lives that have like really big importance when you look back on them. Yeah. The next couple movies continue with the parental themes. Mm. Maybe the next one not as seriously. My number nine and Brittany's number three. Okay, so my number three is um, After Blue. In parentheses, Dirty Paradise. <laughs> Love it. Directed by Bertrand. Do you not pronounce his last name? I just say Mandicho. I have Mandicho. No, that's correct. I know you're a big fan because you love um, Wild, Wild Boys, Boys, which I you introduced me to that film and I loved it. And then I, whenever I was making my movies to watch in 2022 Letterbox, like I had this like highlighted, mm-hmm. like I need to see this, I need to see this. And oh my God, I fucking loved it. <laughs> it is so unique it does have the same like like how wild boys does create this universe that you get engrossed in that it makes no fucking sense but like it's this world that you're like i felt like i was living in this like post-apocalyptic after blue world like an alien planet yes it's like this alien planet and god how do you even describe it it's so like it feels like a desert, but there's like mystical and magical things like poking out the ground. Like there's only women in this world um, and they're covered in body hair. And glitter. And glitter, yeah. <laughs> um, glitter. There's a couple of, you know, vaginal eyes. But in this film, the the main character is, she's reminds me of my cousin Zoe. She has like this little blonde mullet um roxy so she's at the at the beach with a couple of friends and she um 
frees Kate Bush, who is like buried in the sand. <laughs> but Kate Bush, I can't remember, but it's short for a very it's long. It's like Katarzyna Buschowski. <laughs> yeah. A Polish Otherwise killer. known as Kate Bush. Yeah. <laughs> She's like in the sand, like buried up to her head because like they're like, we gotta fucking bury her and let her drown and kill her and shit. And she promises um, Roxy three wishes. So she digs her ass up and then Kate Bush kills the three girls that she's with. Every other line of dialogue includes the words Kate Bush in yes. it throughout the entire movie. <laughs> I, know, like, I know that like annoyed a lot of people. I think they're like, God, but I find I found it so funny. Yeah, like it's very I'm funny. like, man, this they, they said it like at least a hundred times. <laughs> um, so then her and like Kate Bush have this beautiful moment where like they're embracing and rolling around and like Kate Bush is covered in this gold glitter and then it rubs off on Roxy's face. And then it's like, oh shit, she freed Kate Bush, a villain. So the elders of her village like find her mother who's like the hairdresser, but she's a hairdresser, meaning like she shaves the body hair of all these women with this like very cool like magic razor Laser wand. Laser wand. So they go... You could describe this movie forever and it will make less and less sense. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm just I know, like, I'm like talking like, you know what I mean. Um, <laughs> I have not seen it, so like... My oh, ju- so when the Council of Witches come over to banish them, um, she's making purple soup. You know purple soup. Purple right. soup. <laughs> my mouth is just hanging <laughs> open. Uh, so then they go on this mission. They're like, you're exiled until you kill Kate Bush. <laughs> so they go <laughs> to kill Kate Bush. And they're looking for her, but they're going through this land. And, like, it's just the little touches of things. Like, there's these beautiful, like, you know, lesbian, hot, sexy moments. But, like, it'll be like a fucking hairy hand, you know, that comes out of nowhere. And you're like, ooh. But it kind of, like, challenges, like, what we think is beautiful. What we, what we think is, like, erotic. I don't know. I love that kind of shit. And there's also, like, um, I love these little joints that she smokes, but they're almost like little worms. worms. And she, you know, her mom, but she's like, oh, go smoke. And then it's this little, like, oozing little worm, and she's smoking And the it. worm joints make you just as horny as they make you high, because she immediately starts masturbating every time she smokes one. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yes. So there's a lot of... And all of the shrubbery and things coming out the ground just look like lots of dicks. Yep. Like... Very wild boys. Very wild boys. Um... There's, like, some interesting, like, there's, like, a nipple ejaculation. It ejaculates a ball bearing. It does. <laughs> so you just never oh. know what you're going to get. But I love, like, the story was great, and it, it has this Western aspect to it. James, you like your Westerns. Think you like this movie. Apparently. Um, <laughs> but what I loved about this is, like, the creativity on the screen. Like, this is someone's fucking fever dream that they created in real life and it blows my fucking mind. I don't know. I can't even like speak to like how beautiful it is. Um, and how, like I kept thinking like who thought of this and how did they, you can think of something, but it's like, how did you make this real and how did you make it so consistent to where all these weird little things somehow are cohesive in this made up horny world, you know? So what do you think about it, I mean, I, I mean, as you described, it just sounds like the kind of movie I would love, and it kind of is. Yeah! And I had to watch it twice to fully appreciate it, because the Western 
plot structure of it. And yeah. this is like a Hodorowski like acid western, not like yeah. a standard like shoot 'em up, obviously. Mm-hmm. But like this mother daughter duo hunting down this like villain in the woods that like they want to catch for different reasons. The mother wants to kill her for the um, access back to the village. The daughter yes. wants to meet up with her to have sex with her. <laughs> right. <laughs> that sort of expansiveness and like lazy pacing and stuff like was a challenge for me. Even though everything that happens on screen is like so visually exciting that I had to watch it twice. Um, And the second time I was like, oh yeah, this is great. It constantly surprises you with like beautiful imagery, but like at a snail's pace. Like, yeah, it feels like an actual real time dream and not an edited one. But it grew on me a lot the second time. I don't know if you remember the name of the gun. Wasn't it called like Big John or something? I don't John remember. Smith. Like, yeah. It's so weird. <laughs> like, the villain is Kate Bush, but then, like, there, there's a, a very American man name for this gun that they used to kill Kate Bush. And they don't refer to it as the gun. They refer to the gun as, like, the man's name that the gun's named after. All the guns also look like Virginia Slim's version of guns. It's, like, these really yes. skinny, long barrels. <laughs> exactly. So it's uh, a Western, but it's, like, hyper-femme and, like, uh, wonderful. surreal. So fucking cool. It's a bizarre film. Yeah. Gotta love and it. And it's French. Oh, the uh, French. So French. So French. They know what they're doing. All right, we have two movies that were on three of our lists. Ooh. Wow. This next one's all fours. I'm going to throw it to Hannah. Oh, gosh. Okay. My right. number four, James's number four, and Hannah's number four. All right. This wow. is everything, everywhere, all at once. Um, oh. Directed by Daniel Scheinert and Daniel Kwan, the Daniels, starring Michelle Yeoh, who is just amazing. So this is like, for, for my list, continuing the theme of like community connectedness, like reestablishing and reevaluating what is important and unimportant. And also like those fantasies of the things that I could have achieved if my life was slightly different, the the different me's that I could be and like finding acceptance in the, in the me that you are. Uh, Michelle Yeoh plays a uh, woman with a family. She has a laundromat. She's like butting heads with her daughter. She's getting taxed by Jamie Lee Curtis. Is she like her tax? She's the auditor. The auditor, yeah. 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 She's like a state employee or something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There are two Michelle Gondry-inspired tax auditor movies. Very strange. Which is great. We need to fight against the auditing, is what I think. (laughs) Exactly. So she eventually becomes privy to the existence of the multiverse, and that her daughter has kind of become the, like, destroyer of these um, multiverses and she has to like connect with all of the different versions of herself successful like wildly successful and unsuccessful to vanquish this darkness basically um but the like the heart of the movie is like finding joy in like every moment which is kind of like spurred on by her husband who's like just kind of wowed by all of the mundane, beautiful moments. What an adorable yeah, man. He's, yeah, he's, he's just so sweet. And just like that attitude overcoming this deep nihilism of like, I, of like emptiness that her daughter is kind of falling into, like this black hole. I don't know. I feel like if you're watching this podcast, you've probably seen this movie it was like on every number one list yeah available i do like how it seems like everyone's seen this but uh where the crawdads sing outperformed it by a lot like it's really? like not that right. popular of a well, movie 
But yeah. if you care about movies, you have seen this. Right. Or you already have an opinion on it, whether or not you've seen it. Yeah. It's it's just like a visual feast. I mean, they real like they've got you've got hot dog fingers, you've got eyeballs <laughs> yes. all over everything, you have like like really crude humor. Um, like ratatouille jokes with raccoons, but I feel like like one of my favorite moments in this film is that the scene where they become rocks, like, mm-hmm. and they're just sitting up on that cliff, like, enjoying <laughs> the like enjoying silence together. And I feel like that was like like those moments and the moments with the husband. It's like really digging into like how scary life can feel and like how powerless you feel in your life but how you can can gain kind of like agency over yourself by i mean i guess it's just like like mindfulness and like reveling in the mundane the two rocks sitting on the mountain is very similar to the moment in marcel the shell that you're yeah. singling out too where it's yeah. like Especially in this one, like, let's pause, right. take a breath, because <laughs> there's yeah. so much chaotic, like, right. flip-flopping between different worlds in this movie. Yeah, like, and just be rocks. Yeah, just, like, live in the moment. <laughs> yeah. Just exist for a second. I do think it's interesting that this was, like, number four on a bunch I, of lists. Yeah, that's what I was going to touch yeah. on. Is like We did this with Parasite the other year, too, and maybe some other movies like that. Wow. I don't know, it's weird. Like, when I first saw it, I loved it. And, you know, walking into the theater, I'm like, well, that's definitely going to be one of the best movies right. I've seen all year. And maybe it's because, like you say, it, it definitely it didn't perform as well as, like, where the crawdads sing. But with a certain kind of audience, like, all online, you see people gushing. Like, this is the most innovative, creative, fun, great thing I've seen. And, like, as time has kind of moved on and I've seen some other stuff, it, like... It was at number one and Mm -hmm. it just kind of like slowly a little bit didn't move like way down the list, but it kind of creeped towards like the middle as, and I just don't know how that like happens. A24 is very good at marketing. They don't need your your help with the extra promotion. Like this movie's already fine without you're like championing it, you know? Yeah. I mean, it definitely lived up to expectations. I have a feeling upon another watch that it maybe might feel a little overstuffed. Because I kind of felt that when I was watching it the first time, like, whoa, this is a lot, which is good. A lot of ideas. But there's a movie higher up on my list that does the maximalist thing to maybe greater effect. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's still really, it's really good. Mm -hmm. And you kind of have to champion when something this weird is successful. Like when Sorry to Bother You came out a few years ago and people like stuck it out during the weird horse stuff in the back half of that. Right, yeah. It was like, okay, people are down for some weird shit if you yeah. present it in the right yeah. context. And this movie like goes there, even though it is kind of a superhero plot in a, like a very understandable way, like with the multiverse stuff and like her gaining superpowers from the yeah. alternate versions of herself. Like it is a very recognizable genre that does make money at the box office, but never this creatively. Right. It was never supposed to be this kind of a breakout. Yeah. It is, and it is strange that like my parents really liked That's this. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Which is like for something like I said, something as strange as this is, it shouldn't work for that many people. The fact that this movie has a chance to win like best picture of the Oscars. It's this crazy. Year, that's insane. Yeah. It's pretty wild. Whether or not that happens doesn't even really matter. The fact that it could be in, even that in the conversation. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah, like people that I know like that don't watch movies that are like slightly funky. 
have like right. been obsessed with this movie yeah. and i'm like yes yeah. <laughs> i think that's cool as long as it's just a gateway for people to get into weird exactly. shit right. and the gateway in. drug to yeah the weirder things to come i also feel like for this year for me personally i've just felt like so like what the fuck am i doing that any movie that told me like you're okay it's like that. I was like, this is the best movie I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. yeah. I think that's why it, it did resonate yeah. with a lot of people too. Just that, like you were talking about, like that coming out of the pandemic sort of feeling of like, what are we doing? Like mm-hmm. we do need other people. Like I've been locked up for two years and this felt very like life affirming. Like, yeah. yeah, it is good. We are all connected. You know, there are small pleasures in this world that yeah. are worth seeking out well the next movie is also about um the beauty of interpersonal relationships <laughs> yeah. it's more about friendships <laughs> and maybe more like jackass more about your best bro my number five james is number three and hannah's number three yeah oh wow is your See? number three too yeah r r r so i feel like you know this is um Telugu is that what Telugu. Um, language Indian film uh, from this year that got a lot of buzz like kind of like we were talking about with everything everywhere like, like why did this one break why out? did this one break and we talked about that on the podcast like you watch a lot of these kind of movies yeah I'm not as familiar with them I've seen a few some of them with you but like for whatever reason RRR is caught on like fire you have to celebrate that yeah and you and you have to celebrate it and like it is so fun like again to go back to everything everywhere like that was the maximalist like throw everything at the wall and see what sticks this is the same i mean you there's so much madness in this movie between like a menagerie of animals jumping out during a party and (laughs) him on his bro's shoulders fighting and just like you know, a character fighting off a thousand people. Like, it's just so over the top and great. And there's great song and dance numbers. And it's like long, it's three plus hours and you love every minute of it. And it's just joyful balls to the wall filmmaking. And I totally get why so many people loved it. And also a great story about bros and like best friends just really good friends (laughs) really good friends and like part of it is the just the spectacle of the crazy shit you're watching but there is like a really tender heart to the movie too especially with their friendship you know they're like these two revolutionaries and they you know there's this tension because they don't know each other's identity and when it gets revealed there's betrayal and um so there's like a real heart to the film too it's not just pure spectacle but it's a lot of spectacle yeah too <laughs> like holy shit again brandon's watched a lot more of these than i have i don't know where it ranks all time but I mean, pretty high for like a mainstream audience that maybe isn't into these kind of movies this feels like a really splendid introduction to make people want to watch more, like, it, it's a great ride. I mean, the director, Roger Mooley, is, like, specifically calling back to 90s action movies that he loves from America. Mm-hmm. So it's very familiar to what people miss from action cinema here, but obviously dialed up to a new, like, absurdist extreme right. that, I don't know. If, like, the Jerry Brockheimers of the world had continued making movies on the scale that they were making them in the 90s, and I guess Ambulance is the closest one that actually did that this year, 
it would have reached this ridiculous like pinnacle at this time. But Roger Mulley's just doing it on his own in a different country. And this is a really popular movie back home too. Like it's not just here yeah. that it broke out. But I had a smile on my face for yeah. like almost the entire runtime, which again for a movie that's almost or is over three hours is saying a lot. Like yeah. you do not feel time Very moving at all. Movie. It's just like so much fun. Yeah. You just want it to continue. I I just don't remember seeing a film that long that felt that short. Or that it was like it was like I was getting drugs in my <laughs> like pure yeah, adrenaline like, right, in like, an IV. <laughs> right. Like yes, please keep it coming. And like for a movie that is so maximalist, I do think that it's paced really well. Like there are these like moments of intense like brotherhood and action and it's like then you get to the animals jumping out of the cages and you're like what what could possibly like exceed this <laughs> and that it's like building and building and building it and just it, keeps yeah. upping itself but it's never like oh my god this is so much it's exhausting like despite how much is in this film it's not exhausting yeah. it's just like bringing you along with it like you're always on that wavelength and it was, yeah, it was just like pure fun, like pure cinema. And like we talked about when we first discussed the movie, it's a lot easier to appreciate it as a Westerner because like all we see is the anti-imperial like right. kick Britain out of India stuff. And like apparently in India, it's a lot thornier and it's yeah. got this like Hindu nationalist, like right wing right. undertone to it that like isn't really translated. Yeah, yeah. there's that, that end at the end that yeah. felt like a propaganda. Right. That was the only thing that made me feel a little icky about. But again, I don't know the politics yeah. of India, so I'm not right. gonna like. My only counter my argument, and maybe this is no, not valid in any way, is just like the movies that this reminds me of and brings back up from when I was a kid that I loved, like the Commandos and the Rambos of the world, are also right-wing propaganda. Like, it's doing its job. Yeah, even like Armageddon. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Now, if I've done something to you, just tell me what I've done to you. And if I said something to you, maybe I said something when I was drunk and I've forgotten it. But I don't think I said something when I was drunk and I've forgotten it. But if I did, then tell me what it was. And I'll say sorry for that too, Colin. Oh, me heart. I'll say sorry. Just stop running away from me like some fool of a moody schoolchild. But you didn't say anything to me. And you didn't do anything to me. Well, that's what I was thinking, like. I just don't like you no more. You do like me. I don't. You liked me yesterday. Oh, did I? Yeah. I thought you did. And now we're getting to the real shit here. Our oh, actual God. favorite movies of the year, individually. We all have different number ones, which I find kind of interesting. Nice. Okay, I will be quick because uh, Brittany and I both have outliers for our number ones. Um, and I just talked to Allie and Boomer about uh, my favorite film of the year last episode, mm-hmm. which is Neptune Frost. Uh, it is an Afrofuturist musical set in Burundi, but I believe filmed in Rwanda, about these Colton miners who, after a um, after one of their own is murdered on the mining site, uh, his brother starts wandering into the savanna, just sort of lost and doesn't know what to do with himself. Uh, meanwhile, there's this non-binary trans character who um, 
their mother dies and they sort of like lose their place in the community and they start wandering the savannah and they both find this common ground about halfway into the movie at this like hacking commune that's in this other dimension that cannot be seen by most people but like subversives and people on the run people who've lost their community find this place sort of naturally and the second that they lock eyes and are pulled together in that like spikely double dolly shot where they sort of glide to each other the movie just fucking comes alive all the analog electronic equipment of the commune lights up and they start hacking the planet with their love and their resistance and their poetry and I believe most of the movie is just wrapped poetry over like these Afro beats and through like almost death grip style noise pop music. Um, and it is a fucking thrilling movie. It really just like excites my imagination like no other film I saw this year. And the way it just deals with gender and political subversion and, you know, it bucks every institution it can down to plot in movies and just like sort of rejects the notion that you have to have a traditional one for it to be worthwhile. Like, this movie just like really is the future of cinema and fashion and poetry and hip hop and every other art form I can name that matters. It sounds amazing. It is amazing, but it is very hard to describe. And I can only do yeah. it in platitudes like that because it is very kind of like um, After Blue. It's like very liminal and like yeah. difficult to sink into in like concrete terms. I haven't seen any images from this, but when from your description, I just see like a lot of like blues. There's a lot of like nighttime and, shots like, night, uh, yes. with like... Um, Sort of neon face paint under black lights mm -hmm. and these like uh, wire uh, yeah, masks that cool. are supposed to obstruct um, facial recognition software and just analog computer equipment. Yeah. Mm. So I did see this and it didn't make my top 20, but I mean, I didn't really know anything about Colton mining and just... Uh, I really liked the like the film is talking about like technology like using technology as a revolutionary mm -hmm. tool and they are like sitting on the resources used for like smartphones. smartphones. Yeah, exactly. Which is like like owned by like Australian mining companies, Canadian mining companies. So like this movie has a real relationship with like present day colonialism. Um, it is like absolutely visually stunning. Like you were talking about those, the wire masks and they have these like wire headdresses too that it's like almost like satellites or like orbital tracks. That is the wheel man who wears that and he visits you in your dreams and tells you <laughs> what you should do in these cryptic messages. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> and I, I did not like understand the plot of this movie as it was happening, but it, it feels like dreamlike you like you get the impression of the tracks of all of these characters and like the accumulation of mm -hmm. like these revolutionaries and you were talking earlier about films that do a lot with limited resources and this to me this is like doing the most with very few resources like this movie does not look expensive but it is like absolutely like visually stunning and a lot of that is these like handcrafted costumes and like you know appendages i would liken it to after sun the way you were talking about it where like the first hour i had no idea what was going right. on <laughs> but once the two characters meet it all clicks into the place in the way that like emotionally and intellectually made sense that like yeah. kind of felt like a little explosion, even though it's just two characters locking eyes. Yeah. I was like, oh, I totally get right. what everyone's doing, what their function is in the story. Right. 
and like how their resistance is like more spiritual than tactile. Right. And I don't know if it's just that delayed response where like all the emotion rushed in at once that like it made it more impactful. Mm -hmm. But like the characters are lost early in the film. Right. They don't know what they're doing themselves. And like you follow that journey with them where they're like, oh, now my place in the world makes sense. Yeah. And as an audience, like especially in the theater where like you can't let your mind wander before that moment happens. It was just like, a revelation. I was just kind of looking around like, is anyone else seeing this? This is fucking incredible. (laughs) I've never seen a movie do this before. Yeah. Uh, Britney's number one is a movie we all saw, though. And enjoyed, I think. I hope so. I'm speaking for everyone. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? So my number one is Barbarian. Oh, Oh, yeah. Very fun movie. (laughs) Yeah. I think when I was making the list, I was like, I don't, like, do I really want some, like, mainstream horror movie to be my number one but the more like I, I truly thought about it I'm like in my heart of hearts this is the movie that I love the most that came out this year um so Barbarian and I think a lot of people had very different takes on this like I think a lot of people like fucking hated it they thought it was stupid and some people really loved it there seemed to have been like just as like this big divide and I really loved it so yes directed by Zach Krieger um I haven't watched anything else this guy has done. It's a sketch comedy guy. I know that. Well, that would From, probably uh, explain. Why kid you know? Yeah. Right. Which is very okay. funny. Well, great. I had no idea. Well, that explains like a lot of the bizarre shit that probably happens in this movie. Like, and the humor, because it is quite funny. Pretty broad yes. at moments, especially uh, Justin, Justin Long. Long's Justin character. Justin Long's yeah. character. Every like, I feel like the movie almost felt like there were like four quarters to it. And it's like each one would just abruptly stop and shift to something that you would never think of. Mm-hmm. Um, so it starts off, and I think, like, the way that this was marketed is, oh, it's like an Airbnb horror movie, which I'm totally into. I really like the rental that came out a couple years ago. So I'm like, all right, cool, I'll go watch this. And um, it starts off where you, you know, uh, is it? Peter, not shit, something Skarsgård. I can't remember his first oh, name. Oh, is it Bill Skarsgård? Bill Skarsgård, yeah. where you think he's going to be like this main character. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there's a girl who shows up and there's this Airbnb in Detroit. And um, she shows up at night. But during the day, it turns out it's this very rundown neighborhood. And she's living in this like very gentrified house that's being used for Airbnb. I mean, hello, New Orleans. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's like double booked and things start to get creepy. Like her door opens in the middle of the night and it's like, is this guy that's double booked with me, like fucking with me? Is he a psycho? And that's like your first big, you know, shift where you're like, holy shit. Like, I don't want to give away too many spoilers for it. It's kind of hard not to. Even me saying Justin Long is like kind of a spoiler. I know. Yeah. Because yeah. he shows about halfway through. Yeah. So then like that first chunk happens and then all of a sudden it switches. You're, you're in California with Justin Long in a convertible. And I remember I watched this with my mom and my brother in theaters and we were like, my mom was like, something happened. You have to go find the person who's running this. I think they put another movie on. <laughs> like we really thought there was a big mistake because it was such a major shift where we were like, wait, is this the same movie? And it didn't click until he shows up in Detroit at the house that is his rental property that he owns. And then, you know, it takes on another massive chapter where you go in this basement 
that is like a fucking maze of little rooms and shit and there's this creature <laughs> that's there and it is a very maternal creature and you get the backstory of how this creature was born and it's like and then once you leave the house you almost feel like okay this is it that's the end and then there's like another layer like i just love how there's just it just it really <laughs> never finishes and the scariest part of the movie to me was the our main female character who's a black woman she's like running around like two cops and she's like fucking help me like this shit's crazy and they brush her off like oh she's probably tweaking out like whatever and i'm like how scary is that if you're dealing with like the shit that this woman has seen right. and like that's the assistance that you get like that was the scariest part is like no one can help you but the the character that is the ghoul is great um this is probably the only time justin long will be breastfed uh, <laughs> in a film and i oh i loved all that creepy like you know mother baby um yeah. shit that was going on it, it was just it was a good good horror movie and it's so hard to see like a true fucking scariest shit horror film that has some lightness to it with some mm -hmm. of the comical aspects of it like come out and I I don't know I was just blown away yeah. by it and I loved it I have to say like like that first half an hour it's like it really is Bill and the and the lead yeah. actor it's like feels like yeah something's wrong with him like you and I don't think I saw any trailers for this I had no idea what was gonna happen so it's like you think it's this and then you go into the house and there's one creepy room and then it's like the bottom falls out from under yeah. you like oh this is so different from what i thought it was like and even the thing i thought i thought it would be is like yeah and i think you were it's like the expansion of the film is so exciting it really felt like a roller coaster like i don't know that i've been that surprised by a horror movie in a long time yeah, I mean, the experience of watching it, knowing very little going in, was one of the best theater experiences mm -hmm. I had yeah. all year. Like, kind of like we were talking about with Fresh, like that initial Airbnb, like, okay, this is going to be this thing. Mm -hmm. And then it shifts like, oh, my God, this is something else. <laughs> right. And then, oh, shit, it's something different. Like that, like you said, roller coaster of I never quite know where this is going to go is exhilarating. Mm -hmm. I feel like the film, it didn't quite stick the ending, like the landing for me, but most of it works. Like 85% of it is knock out of the park, maybe loses a little bit of steam towards the very end, but like it's quite the ride. I want to liken it to what we were saying about everything everywhere and RRR where like, you have to celebrate when something this right. weird breaks out and like yeah. people yeah. engage with it on like a massive scale, especially in a time where like the types of movies that are getting made and marketed just gets narrower and narrower, mm -hmm. like further we get along. Like I'm, I'm just glad something this weird broke out this year. Yeah. yeah. And we're fucking spoiled with like how weird horror movies have gotten as far mm -hmm. as like mainstream horror goes lately. Like mm -hmm. we're trying to um, uh, wrap up this recording so we can go see Megan together as a group. <laughs> <laughs> and like people are excited about Megan and and it's making money. There's a market for weird shit if it's in a horror context. 
Um, right. Then I wish I could see that weird stuff in other genres yeah. in the theaters at the same time, but like I'll take it where I can get it. It's fucking great that something this weird <laughs> yeah. made money and made right. a splash, you know, it's culturally. Like, just like that baby bottle, you know, it's covered in hair, but I'll take I'll it. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> just drink it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. The next movie is James's number two and Hannah's number one for 2022. So my number one was uh, The Banshees of Inishirin by Martin McDonough. And we have, I know we've talked about this movie on the podcast. Um, it's um, a story about two men in, on an isolated island off the British, the, it's an island off of Ireland taking place during the Irish Civil War, I believe. And um, the, uh, I think it's, yeah, Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. And um, one man just decides he does not want to be friends with Colin Farrell. He's boring. He doesn't want to spend time with him. <laughs> They've, they're like pub partners. And also there's like barely anybody on this island in the first place. And Colin Farrell is like a nice guy. And he's a, maybe like a little dim based on the people that are close to him. And he's like, really doesn't understand why his friend doesn't want to be friends with him is like very repellent to the, like absolutely repellent to the idea that they're not friends anymore. And his friend is just trying and trying to build these boundaries between them. And eventually says like, if you don't leave me alone, I will, I will cut off my fingers. And he's, he's a fiddle player. So his fingers are like, and that's part of the reason that he's ended this friendship. He's like, uh, you know, I'm going to die at some point. I want to dedicate myself to my art and like really create something meaningful. So by like cutting his fingers off, it's like he's abandoning both of these loves in his life. And it just like, smolders and smolders into this really like tragic decimation of this relationship even beyond not being friends it's like they've become enemies that that still like really care for each other and i love this movie because this is like kind of on the flip side of these other films that i was really drawn to of like community and isolation like Every character in this film is lonely and desperate for some kind of fulfillment, either through community or through any tenderness at all, or through some kind of like artistic fulfillment. And they're all just really trying to figure out how to be happy. And that means different things for different people, like people leave the island or they just stay stuck in their identification of what will lead them to happiness and like just destroy what they have. I just, uh, this was my number one. I love Martin McDonough. I think his stories about Ireland are really interesting. This is part of like kind of a triptych of stories that he has. He has these two plays, The Cripple of Inishmere and The Lieutenant of Inishmore. I, I just, like, a lot of his movies are very, like, very macho, violent, masculine. He was, like, I think he was influenced by Tarantino. And this is such a tender movie about, like, community and relationships in general. I think 
the it has a really lovely female character, which is like not super typical of McDonough in my experience. Um, and I think it does a really good job of like showing companionship and what it means when that's lost. And also in the context of this, like almost like an Irish folk tale. It's like feels very like fairy tale-esque. Um, yeah, so it just really, really touched me. I thought Colin Farrell was great. I thought Brendan Gleeson was great. Just like, there's so many like funny, heart-wrenching scenes in this film. Well, and so is my number two. That's what I wanted to really highlight was how funny. It was hilarious. It's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> like, it, I don't, and it's so specifically Irish. There's something about like those that accent with some of this dialogue is so well written. It underplays everything, even when like someone's mutilating their own hand. The way yeah. that people underplay the uh, the drama of that is very funny. Yeah, I, I just like. It struck such a interesting tone with me where like it is very tender and sweet, and but also like very thought provoking, like, you know, how worth it is it to like devote yourself to your art when it comes at the expense of like your relationships? And is it just enough to be a good, kind person or is that kind of like? Uh, a loser's <laughs> life you know i fell on a, a very clear side of that divide as to one character being correct and the other one being deeply yeah. wrong <laughs> yeah, yeah i think by the end of the movie we know okay what is right yeah, yeah. but then also being extremely funny like we saw this yeah. in the theater and it got a lot of laughs like it's like we were watching like a mainstream comedy so i don't know just like such an interesting little movie yeah I do think I so I I have his two other plays so I was reading them after I saw this and and one thing that he does in dialogue in general is like repetition so it's like in in the beginning it's like oh are you uh like are you having a row with so and so oh no I'm not and then and then like the next scene the another character will ask him the same thing and it's like the repetition is like increasingly grating on him because he's like afraid of what his relationship has become and he and martin mcdonough does that in all of his plays like i think he's a very good writer and then like i feel like a lot of the movies that i put on my top it's like i have one there's one image that like really connected with me and there's this image where he's like reading this letter from his sister who's left the island. She was like totally alone and she's gone to the mainland and she's telling him to come with her and like leave his loneliness behind him. And he's sitting in his house alone and he's let all of these, all of these animals in to his house. So they're all just kind of like milling around in the stone. And he he's like trying so hard to have community in this strange way that's like not going to be fulfilling and you can just see that he can't bring himself to like do the thing that would actually make him happy and it's like really like a just such a beautiful moment um but yeah extremely funny very tender it's colin farrell's big dumb eyes right. like he has so many scenes in here just i'm like, not gonna put my donkey outside when i'm sad okay right. i'm just not gonna do that <laughs> it's like but when Brendan Gleeson is like telling him like, dude, you're kind of an idiot and I don't want to be your friend anymore. Dude. The look in his eyes, like, please be my friend. Like, right. puppy, like yeah. come on. Yeah. 
And when puppies are scorned, they get mad. Yeah. And that's what happens. I just watched all three seasons of Dairy Girls again mm-hmm. right before Love watching Dairy this. Ah. And the cadence of the jokes and the cadence of the like line deliveries yeah. is exactly the same yeah. as this. Nice. So I'm like, I know this is authentically Irish because yeah. those are two very different works that are funny in the exact same way. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Um, and this movie is kind of sitcom-y in a way, even though it is very um, allegorical right. and like stage play and like very funny and smart in like an intellectual way. Like it also is goofball slapstick stuff in another way. Like yeah. even him throwing his fingers at his like scorned friend <laughs> is darkly funny in yeah. a sitcom kind of way. Yeah. I like this more than I thought I would. I, I don't like the idea of Martin McDonough's work. Right. Like I really hated Three Billboards. And you describing the like Tarantino-ness of his stuff, it's like, that's exactly yeah. what I don't like about the idea of him. Right. But this movie could not be further from Tarantino yeah. in my mind. It's like a whole new offshoot of like what he does that kind of narrows in on like the best aspects of it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I, I, I could watch more now. I feel like better primed to be a fan. <laughs> <laughs> but we did have one consensus pick. The only movie that was on all four of our wow. lists. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Oh, wow. So if this was like... The entirety of the website. Instead, we're like two-thirds of the voting members. But if this was the whole website, this would be the number one movie of the year for Swamp Flicks. Yeah. <laughs> Brittany's number eight, my number three, Hannah's number two, and James's number one. Woo! <laughs> yeah. uh, Mad God. Woo! Oh, yeah. So this is done by Phil Tippett, who has been in Hollywood for years with his stop-motion animation. He's worked on Jurassic Park. RoboCop. I mean, any like film you loved growing up with stop motion animation, like this dude probably worked on. We it. just talked about his double headed dragon and Willow. And Willow, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so during I guess the production of I think it was RoboCop too. He was like, I should like make my own movie. So this project has been like kind of thirty years in the making, and during the filming of Jurassic Park, once he saw like the CGI that was going to take over the industry. He was basically like, well, I'm out of a job. This is the future. And he kind of put it on the shelf for a while, but over the years, other people that had worked under him or around him kind of were like pitching in and like go, you know, to the studio and, you know, add their little touches and the project kind of gained life over the years. And so finally shutter this year released the final film and it is a nightmare in the best (laughs) fucking way possible you know we talked a lot about whether it's pinocchio or marcel or what stop motion animation can do this is what it can do on the most nightmarish apocalyptic (laughs) horror like just disgusting it is a visual nightmare but it's fascinating to look at i'm you know the plot very lo- what loose. Plot? Yeah, what plot? I mean, <laughs> loosely revolves around like an assassin that is trying to, I guess, plant a bomb to just blow this shit up because this world is awful. It's like descending into hell to blow up hell as a it terrorist. It's like yeah. hell within hell. Yeah. yeah like but, if hell had its own hell. But, uh, but <laughs> what sort of like was drawing me in was a lot of the hellish images that he is conjuring are essentially stuff that we see in our own world. So, there's war, 
there's slave labor. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just being a cog in the machine. Mm-hmm. It's all scale. Like there's these giant conflicts and then below them even smaller conflicts and then below them even more minute conflicts. Yeah. And like It's just all vicious cruelty all the way down the yeah. smaller you get in the details. Yeah. And it's, and there's a part where like there's shit people like you know the shit falls downstream and then smaller people shovel the shit for like a job yeah (laughs) so it's a wild ride this reminds me of like the movie you bring some friends over and like dude we're gonna get stoned and you gotta see this you want to see something weird you want to see something weird you guys want to put on (laughs) (laughs) i want to put on some weird shit and that i have not seen a movie this weird and scary and nightmarish Mm -hmm. and like quite some time and it just blew me away i'm like oh my god like and it sounds like everybody felt something yeah with this movie but i was reading some reviews like some people that weren't as high on it and they were like you know well it doesn't have a plot and there's really not much there outside of read a novel (laughs) yeah but to me it actually you know outside of the images which you know i'm sure everyone has their favorite moments from this thing and there are a lot but like it is thought-provoking and it like i don't know i came especially the end the like climax with like really conjured up a lot of different ideas about where is humanity headed like what are we doing like this is kind of fucked is it all worth it like big ideas but also just a spectacle of what's on the screen it also has a metatextual and an extra textual plot in that like you know the story of how it was made if you're watching it and that extra textual stuff is part of the passage of time and the like inevitable failure of creativity in the story itself like he this sort of omniscient character keeps sending these little soldiers out in the Mm -hmm. world they keep getting killed and keeps starting over and you can't help but think of like Phil Tippett like starting, stopping and starting this project mm-hmm. over yeah. and over again yeah. and just not getting very far. And like the ticking clocks and the like futility of this art project becomes part of the text. And like you start thinking about the passage of time and right. like there is a lot more going on than just watching this like soldier go through these different layers of hell. And I was thinking that idea of the artist, the creator, the God who's trying to like make his own world is also tied into what humans do to the world. We try to like create and make the world that we want to live in and we fail over and over again and time keeps ticking. But and what we, else are you going to do? Start over. What? I, yeah, right. It's <laughs> over. You failed. You got to start again. So yeah, there's a lot of like loosely connected, but again, just the visceral experience of watching the crazy stop motion stuff that was on the screen was unlike any other mm-hmm. movie going experience I've had this year. It's like probably the dirtiest, grimiest movie I ever watched Ugh, in my life. Take a shower. Nasty. Nasty. <laughs> oh, it's so sticky, just blood flinging everywhere and goo. And I, I really liked that. Like it was all like, cruelty and and sludge and like <laughs> just shit and 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 then like like so the first soldier dies and he's like uh he undergoes surgery and like this little oh, like baby thing is extracted from him, right? like that. but there is this like at, at the very end there is this kind of like 
mystical optimism. Like there's this, like the man with the little terrarium and like the, even though like then there are the little spider things that like kill the, whatever. I, I mean, it's, you know, it, it wasn't just like a parade of disgusting stuff. Like there was this little gleam of like beauty that I didn't really like. I wouldn't say I understood the plotting of the whole movie, but there was more balance than I think people give it credit for. Well, I feel like the movie is very bifurcated in that the first half before that soldier dies feels like it was mostly footage they shot before the project came to a full stop. And then it resets and the second half is shot more in these like HD kind of cameras Mm -hmm. and it's a lot crisper and brighter um, and I think gives the movie more texture, at least like almost on a narrative sense, like where there's more to think about, like how those two halves communicate with each other. Yeah. And the first one feels like it's all about war and capitalist exploitation right. and like just these different characters abusing each other on different scales. And then the second half continues those themes, but also feels like it's more about the act of creation and its right. own creation and things. It's a little bit like Neptune Frost, where like I, I, I'm having a hard time putting this in concrete terms. <laughs> and yeah. maybe even After Blue and Inuo are kind of the same thing, where it's like maybe I prioritize movies I can't interpret yeah. out loud. If you're going to talk about this as like an art form of the moving image, like these are the movies that are like pure image, and right. like you have to interpret it yourself. It kind of leaves it up to you. Yeah. Um. Even the strobe light nightclub scenes and um After Sun are not explicitly explained you have to kind of like make that leap yourself and like figure out what she's doing in that nightclub with her father and like Mm -hmm. what meeting at the same age in that psychic space means Mm -hmm. like i don't want movies to be television i don't want them to be explained in these like start and stop plots where you can like wrap up the ideas and the storyline and these little like neat packages stuff like mad god kind of just like excites your imagination it's like here are the images your brain deals with that that's not my job Uh, and i find that very exciting when film is like uh you know the idea of film is watching someone else's dreams yeah like but what i loved about mad god in particular it's like this is this guy's life work this is literally his dream and i'm inside of his head and it's fucking scary (laughs) like (laughs) but i like that it's not like I'm in someone's psychic space and it Mm -hmm. really frightens me. Mm -hmm. And something about that is like exhilarating. Well, and the, the you know, you and Brandon were both talking about like the infinite, the repetition of like going down into hell as like people doing that creatively or just existing in general. And the, the feeling that I got, like the strongest feeling I got watching that first half of the movie is like the courage of, this person who is just absolutely dedicated to getting to where they need to go no matter what like in spite of all of this like disgusting horror which is its own kind of honorable spectacle it's like i just this small person slowly making their way like totally covered in like gas mask with this like tattered map like i really felt like that that was exemplifying perseverance. If you're going to take that as like an existential, like this is what life is like illustration, um, it's kind of deeply 
scary how replaceable and anonymous yeah. he is. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. It's like, all right, well, he's got right, another, another one out there. Get another one. It's just like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like like two hundred like different mounds of briefcases of like right. all these people. But yeah, but I you, still, it's like everybody is replaceable, but you are following this person. Yeah, you know, and they mean something. It means something in the moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think it's very fitting for this year that we have a stop motion film as our number one film of the year. <laughs> very good one. Yeah. This year was great for animation. Usually there's like two or three stop motion films you can champion. This year has like a, a wealth of them. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm glad this is the one that came to the top because it's also the one that's the most metal and uh, <laughs> oh, just yeah, badass and upsetting and gross. And, yeah. <laughs> a lot of things we like to champion all sort of like packaged in this yeah. one little yes. weird movie. I feel like upsetting in general. Like Yeah. We like to champion the upsetting things. I like to have fun and to be grossed out at yeah. the same time. That's <laughs> all I ask. That's, that's, I was looking at my list and that's sort of what it fell to. It's like, Either I want like RRR, everything everywhere, just fun, or I want like Vortex and Mad God. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, like, Vortex like made me feel bad on like yeah. a personal individual level, and this made me feel bad for just mm-hmm. all of humanity. I just right. love that feeling of like, I can throw up at any moment, right? and I don't know when it's going to be. And it would be totally appropriate. Exactly. It's like uh, John Waters talking about how the uh, thing he most wanted in his movies was not a standing applause. It was... Um, People throwing up in the theater. <laughs> uh, we will come back with honorable mentions next episode. Let's let's dig further into the movies we have enjoyed in 2022 before yeah, we move wonderful. on. Wonderful, yeah. But in a very real real time way, we are about to move on and go watch our first uh, wide release of 2023. Yeah. We're gonna go see Megan. Yes. <laughs> we'll report back. <laughs> Check out Swamplix.com for everyone's individual lists. We'll talk to y'all soon. Bye. 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 Bye.